Person of Interest Podcast, episode number 29, Eulogy for Elias, Requiem for Root. You are being watched. An artificial intelligence, a machine protected by government agencies and deadly assassins, is spying on you every hour of every day. We designed this podcast as a means to share information that will aid in discovering and exploiting anything related to bringing down those who will use the machine to harm and exploit others. If you're listening to this podcast, your number has come up and you're part of our team. Moment of silence I thought might be necessary and maybe even appropriate (laughs) to begin our podcast episode this week. Welcome to the Person of Interest podcast, a fan podcast dedicated to, you guessed it, Person of Interest, which airs on CBS here in the United States. Welcome. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Daryl. And Doug, I don't know how else to say it, but you flirt at the most awkward times. <laughs> I'm sorry. <clears throat> Just the way I am, I suppose. And I'm Doug. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm I'm Doug and I'm all out of ammo. <laughs> and, and breath, frankly, men alive. These were some serious episodes. Yeah. And to have them back to back Monday and Tuesday. Wow. We are so glad to have you with us, folks. Uh, we're covering Person of Interest for Season 5, Episodes 9 and 10, which originally aired May 30th and 31st, 2016, entitled Sotto Voce, and the 100th episode of Person of Interest, The Day the World Went Away. Ooh. Indeed. Indeed and Sotto Voce means, you know, kind of under the breath, you know, speaking, speaking quietly. And I think... I don't know if his, uh, I guess if you thought of the voice in this, he was kind of understated when he was uh, in his persona. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it, w- it may have been uh, something like that. Yeah, maybe so. Or just, you know, a general description of the way Reese talks. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Uh, <clears throat> yes, very much so. How do you do that with your voice? Remember that last season when the... <laughs> do what? <laughs> the, it, was the, uh, it was the fake detective episode. He's like, how do you do oh, that with your voice? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that was fantastic. Yeah. Well, we are so glad that you have joined us here today as we are talking about these two fantastic episodes. And you know what, Doug? The good news is from here on out, there is only one episode of POI per week. No, no more of this doubling up or even tripling up like we did last week. Wow. The bad news is there are only three weeks left of our yeah. beloved show. Let's not talk about that yet. We have enough bad news to dwell on in today's episode <laughs> for sure. And yes, as you said, we're talking about Soto Voce or Voce, which was written by Subir Prisada and directed by Margot Lulik. Yeah. And of course, the day the world went away, otherwise known as de toi. <laughs> That's how we've abbreviated in our notes. So we may just say de toi from time to time. <laughs> this was written you by <laughs> <laughs> written by Andy Callahan and Melissa Scrivener Love, and directed by Fred Toya. Yes, indeed. We had some very Okay ratings this week. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're That's getting a- very okay from here on out. 
That's pretty. Yeah, that's pretty much it here. On uh, on Monday, Sotovoce was uh, got a 0.8 rating with 5.35 million viewers. And Tuesday, as usual, bumped up uh, a 1.0 rating and 6.6 million. Uh, the day the world went away, those ratings uh, are the best since Shot Seeker. So, uh, so it is kind of picking up near the end here. I'm kind of hoping the one a week will uh, will bring the uh, the viewers back here. But like uh, I think we discussed possibly last week, having or maybe even on the Facebook page, maybe mm-hmm. uh, some of these people have been saying, you know, they're just burning through episodes. I'll just wait for it to hit Netflix and you know go there. Who knows? Yeah, I saw this week, and I don't know if you put it in the show notes or not. I didn't think, I don't know why, I didn't think to do that. It's coming out, you, you'll be able to buy the entire season, and of course the whole series at that point, on DVD, Blu-ray, and that's in July. So this this season's going to wrap in mid-June, and a month later, you're going to be able to get the whole series or the whole season on DVD and Blu-ray. So uh, I'm sure people will be will be waiting on that. I don't know when it's going to hit streaming. Um, I, I would imagine not quite. They'll give some time to let those DVDs sell, but maybe, you know, September-ish it might. That's pure speculation before it hits streaming. Pure speculation. Pure. Yes. Pure, raw, unfiltered speculation. Welcome to the Person of Interest podcast. <laughs> That's what we do. <laughs> That's right. Well, the other thing we do is we share our episode ratings and those of our beloved listeners. So, mm-hmm. And they for, are beloved. They are, actually, yes. Well, most of them. You know, Judy gives me a hard time because she thinks I pronounce her city wrong, but <laughs> even though she lives there, I think she's mistaken. Uh, <laughs> um, anyway. Beloved uh, and long-suffering. Yeah, yeah. For uh, Soto Voce, is that how I is that? Am I pronouncing that right? I th- that's how I always pronounced it. But when I was looking this up for the pre season five episode, I think I found it's pronounced Soto Voce. Oh, Soto Voce. Okay. Well, whichever it is, I gave it nine. Neither good nor bad cups of coffee. When, while we watch this, folks, we've got a, a Google Docs. Uh, document up with uh, where we take our notes together in the same place. As soon as that line came out, I saw you put that in there. You didn't know what the rating was going to be, but you know what the callback was going to be. I, yeah, I'll do that sometimes <laughs> where I'll hear something that I like, and I'm like, I got to put that in there before I forget. And I don't know if I'm going to use it for my intro or my rating or my my sign off, but yeah, I'll do that from time to time. And that was definitely one when I heard that. I'm like, yep, that's I can put that to use. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yes, indeed. Well, I gave it also nine loose ends tied up. I thought that the the voice, the, the whole story there with it, was a loose end that needed to be tied up. They had set it up uh, earlier, uh, you know, I think was it season three? Mm-hmm. Episode 15. Okay. And, uh, and it was such a... You got the impression that this was a guy that really had to be dealt with. Well, they're running out of, you know, episodes and they got to deal with them. So they decided to uh, bring him back. Now, unlike uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, the the marriage um, number of the week, the wedding number of the week. That just seemed like, you know, a regular, you know, season one, season two, season three episode, no big deal. I think that they put uh, this one together with The Voice. Um, they, again, they're tying up the loose end. They are. It's, it's kind of a standalone story. but. I think they did a great job with it, and so um, I didn't mind the fact that we had like a just a, a, a kind of a number of the week theory because it was it had to be dealt with, and they did a good job with it. 
And I just wanted to say that um, this week we're going to hear a little bit of a little more of this here because who was the bad guy? Well, it was this guy. So you know, for those of you who are not in the U.S., there's a a, a um, reality show where the singing competition. It's called The Voice, and every time they referred to The Voice, that's all I could think of. So you know, you may hear it a little more in this episode. So there's my rating: nine loose ends tied up. Okay, I think you might be a little mistaken on that little clip you just played. That's that's a different network, man. Oh, <laughs> I hope we don't get sued. <laughs> All right. Well, Linda Trent Beck gave it 10 red chairs turning around for the temporary reunion of our gang of four. Um, And if you're wondering what a red chair turning around means, because that's a key part of, (laughs) you know, the red chairs turn around with the different, uh, you know, coaches. Thank you. All righty. I noticed that. I got you, Linda. That's all you do. Very nice. Team Yellowbox gave it seven and a half out of 10. (laughs) <laughs> John and Lionel almost proposals. <laughs> That's great. Indeed. Scott Drone Silvers gave it 10 last great acts of defiance. And you really did have that impression as they kind of stood in the park at the end. We'll, we'll get to that. But it was, I was telling my, my son, in fact, what my opinions on that were after that, ep- after this episode and before the next one. So yeah, I like that. I like that rating there, Scott. Uh, Pam Alger gave it 10 exploding voices, thanks to Elias. And Zachary Chong gave it 10 plant bombs. I mean, planted bombs. It's a <laughs> yeah. different thing. Don't, don't pick that tulip, it'll explode. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's like one of those things from Mario. You pull the turnip, you throw it. Blows it. Bad Wobot, that's I pronounced it right, mm-hmm. gave it nice, uh, nine nice days for a walk. Benjamin Jensen gave it 9.5 informed fuskinators. Yes. Vivit gave it 10 gun show loopholes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Andrew gave it 9 Chekhov's car bombs. Exactly. And finally, Andrew Jeeves gave it 8.5 Fusco knows knowing the truth. Yes, mm-hmm. indeedy. That, that seemed to be another big uh, hit here that Fusco finally got read in. Finally. Yeah, man. Good times on that. And regarding to do it, I gave it two fallen comrades. And just to be clear, I loved the episode, but I had to give it a two in honor of my fallen comrades. These are my two favorite characters of the series. So um, I gave it a two to commemorate them. But if I had to give it a regular rating, it would be a nine. Alrighty. Well, I gave it a 10, 10 temporary resolutions. Zachary Chong gave it 81 out of 100 prison breaks. The first 50 minutes were not too good, but that final 10 minutes, I suggest we score the episode out of 100 in honor of the episode. I like that idea. Yeah. Episode 100. Very nice. Yeah. Benjamin Jensen said it was the best episode of Person of Interest. The best. A complete 10 but also the saddest TV moments in my whole life. Indeed. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Kiana Means gave it 10 shattered pieces of my heart. Wow. Sounds like a country song. That you might sing on. There it is. You know, Blake Shelton and all that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Moving right along. 
Terry Lynn Corsello gave it 10 future Finch Ezekiel 2517s. Ladies and gentlemen, I had to look that one up. Uh, I don't know it all by heart. The entire Bible, no. <laughs> Ezekiel 2517 in the New International Version says thusly, I will carry out great vengeance on them and punish them in my wrath. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I take vengeance on them. Uh, or in this version, the uh, new POI version, I, they will know that I am the Finch when I take my vengeance on them. I think that's the verse that they use in Pulp Fiction, if my memory serves correctly. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I have no idea. I never watched Pulp Fiction. Oh, it's, it's incredibly crude and vulgar, but awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's Quentin Tarantino, so, you know, yes. if, if you like his stuff. That much I know, yes. yeah. We got to get you watching The Shawshank Redemption first, and then oh, if you get yes, some, man, some time, right. check out the, uh, uh, the Pulp is that, Fiction. Is that, is that the, the sequel to The Root Shank Redemption? Um, the... the uh, <laughs> I was going to say The Shawshank Redemption, but it was like, well, that's the same name. I, I don't <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, the Samin Shank Redemption. I don't know. Um, all right. Bill Bluell gave it 10 darkened hearts. Ooh. Team Yellowbox gave it 10 out of 10. Happy 100 POI. Now, they kind of broke this down a little bit here. Four out of 10 happy me's right now because I'm sad Root died. So, you know, I got a little four there. Yet happy Shaw is still alive, but then sad again for her loss also. And a Team Yellowbox, you're sounding a little manic there, so, you know, I hope you're okay. <laughs> hope you're okay, too. Together, we're going to pull together and make it through this. Uh, Andrew, I got Andrew again. He gave it did. 10 big guns. We did see some big guns in this episode. Oh, man. We saw a lot of guns. That's one thing I want to mention. We yeah. saw a lot of guns. Man, Both of these episodes, holy cow, they blew the gun budget. <laughs> Uh, Bad Wobot, I'm pronouncing that right, gave it 9.7 fave characters that went away. Yep. And Andrew Jeeves broke the scale. And That's gave right. It 11. Rest in peace, Elias and Root. Turning it up to 11. Yes, indeed. That's right. <laughs> All right, Douglas, let's get into our discussion of Sato Vose. What do you say? Sato Vose. This was uh, interesting. Now, you mentioned, I think, at the very end of last week's episode that we, I think when you were reading the discussion, like the press release for this episode, that we should be mindful of the voice. You were like, yeah, he was a character back in the episode or season three. And, and I don't know that I would have picked up. I know I wouldn't have if you hadn't mentioned that. And I don't know where you got that, if you remembered it or if you got it from somewhere, but I'm I so got glad it from somewhere. Did. Yeah. Okay. Either way, I don't, I don't, I don't care where you got it from. I just, I'm so glad you did it. So I did go back and I did watch season three, episode fifteen, called "Last Call." They mentioned it in this episode. The last time we encountered this guy, it was nine one one operator. Blah 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 blah. But it was really cool. You didn't have to go back and rewatch the episode and be fresh on it to enjoy and appreciate this episode. But I do think that the fact that I did kind of helped me have a deeper appreciation for the, you know, the the voice. Yeah, Terry Easton. Um, and, and this, you know, this was, well, like I said earlier, well done. I mean, it could have been just a number of the week. We deal mm -hmm. with it and we're done. But wow, they really, uh, a, a lot of uh, twists and turns and uh, just, you know, coming out of left field there. And uh, this Terry Easton guy, you know, he really does seem like he's really playing the part of a, 
you know, it's, you know, diary of a wimpy kid or something. He's just uh, afraid of what's going to happen to his wife. And, 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 and he plays it all up perfectly in order to get into, um, into the police precinct. And, uh, you know, that's, that was fantastic. And even during that, uh, the voice calls, uh, what's his name? Calls Finch. You're getting upset at this, aren't you? I'm sorry. I just had to. I have this clip and I'm going to play it for all it's worth. We're okay, going to take your toy it. away from you, Doug. <laughs> Stand back. I've got a toy and I'm not afraid to use it. But yeah, so you know, he calls Finch. I, I'm guessing kind of in the middle of all this and, uh, and Finch recognizes uh, recognizes it, and, and uh, you know he get he knew everything about him, and uh, you know so it's it's and it's interesting. He also calls Terry, you know, which you know you've you failed. I guess that was a pre recorded message, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, so all of that to kind of both the viewer and Team Machine get get lulled into a false sense of this is the victim. He needs to be you know, coddled and protected and all that stuff. And they did a really great job with that. Yeah. I fell for this hook, line and sinker. I never for a moment suspected that Terry was the voice. I mean, I think I figured it out maybe a minute or so before our, (laughs) our, our gang of heroes did. Um, there's a couple other things that I, that I picked up on pretty much immediately, but, but no, not, not Terry East. And even on my rewatch, which I didn't get to rewatch all of this episode, I, I rewatched parts of it, but I did rewatch like his interrogate, not his interrogation. Cause I didn't think he was a criminal, you know, where, where he, Reese is in there with him and he's like, I, you know, they've got my wife and they recover the photo and then the, the voice calls on all that. I'm like, this was so well done. There's no suspicion here. There's no, and I don't know how you could have or would have, I mean, because like you have the voice calling and even though that was staged, you, we didn't know it. And there was no way to know that at that point. So, um, it was really, really well set up. And when you think about back in season three, when we saw last call and how, the voice had everything all planned out so many steps ahead where everybody was placed in the right position to be able to execute the next step of the plan from having her go down and shut off the backup generators to, uh, I I don't know, just everything that was, that happened in that episode to carry out his plan. This, so to see him doing that in this episode is just perfect. It's, it's masterful. They do a lot of that on this show, you know, with, with Samaritan having to be all these steps ahead and, and the machine as well. But here we see a person doing it, and it was really cool to, to see it happening. And, and it was just really well designed by the writers and um, made for a really fun story, I think. It would have been nice to see what they could have done with this character had they had some more time to deal with him. You know, they, mm-hmm. they introduced him, you know, in, in uh, season three, episode 15. They had to dispatch him in this episode. and. You know, it would have been really cool to see what else they could have put him all together. Elias clearly had heard of him before and uh, was very, um, you know, worried for Finch so, so much so that he went with him to uh, make sure he didn't get uh, he didn't get killed. And so that was, uh, you know, giving the viewer the uh, the idea that, yeah, this guy is a really serious uh, situation. And if they had had some more time, what they could have done with him, it just uh, boggles the mind. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that would have been really cool to see them play cat and mouse for a little while. Um, I think they probably would have had to have started the storyline a little bit sooner or the show gone longer, obviously, but, but either way, that would have been nice. But either way, we, we did get some resolution here to a storyline, like you said, that had been set up last season with a, you know, I'll get you next time gadget type of ending. And, and so now we got, you know, Dr. Claw and, and Inspector Gadget, as it were, crossing paths <laughs> again. But there was no cat, only a dog, which I don't even know. The, do we get bear? We did get bear. Finch was cleaning up after him a little bit. That's yeah. right. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, th- this uh, and it was a very you know this this is almost a mad bomber kind of thing too. Mm-hmm. With uh, uh, that seems to be his uh, weapon of choice, and so Elias takes him to uh, an abandoned what was it, an elementary school? I guess it was abandoned. And the custodian, whether that's in quotes or not, I don't know, but he mm-hmm. seems to be the man who uh, knows how to build the bombs and supplies. Uh, the voice with that and uh so yeah it was i mean you know you, you've got the the all the fake bomb threats being called in the machines looking for them so they're trying to figure out what's going on trying to and and as we find out a little later we're trying to empty out the precinct so that uh terry easton or whatever his name is it can uh, you know get full run of the place there and, uh, you know, just, just so well executed. Unfortunately, you know, we, it sounded like we lost some, um, some of New York's finest in the, uh, in the attempted rescue of quote unquote Carla, whether mm-hmm. she's an actual person or not. Yeah. So, so putting that all together, just, you know, just one block after another was really, really, really good. Um, they, uh, Finch and Elias, uh, Finch actually figures out where the bomb is detonated from. You know, you've got the whole, uh, relaying the, in, the the uh, the signal from one place to another, they they um, they find that out. And but even then, uh, you know, they come up to they come up a little bit of a dead end. And we have this new guy Amir, who I guess I'm trying to remember exactly what his um, relationship was, but I guess the uh, the voice had used him and in some previous off screen you know adventures that we don't find out about. And Amir says, "Look at I, listen, I know who's." Who you? Who it is you're looking for? So he's not, uh, you know, just the the innocent bystander. Basically, he actually had uh, a hand in some of this stuff, and so they were trying to get him to uh, get him to talk. And once they once he figures out they are onto him, he kind of drops the drops the accent, drops the act, and says, "Yeah, what do you want? I can give this to you. What what can I get for it? Yeah, yeah, that was really cool because again." didn't see that these two things were related. You have yeah. Amir and he plays a pretty good victim. And it was interesting because I'm, I'm a rewatch. I did get to see his initial interrogation. is what it was where he's like, you know, I've got the, I bought this at the gun show. I've had it six months. It's all on the up and up. I've been just because I've been robbed and I'm totally buying that just like I was buying, you know, the whole thing uh, that, um, that Terry was selling when he was talking about his wife being kidnapped and he's being extorted to do these, to do these things. And I didn't think that these two storylines were related at all. Didn't see that coming. So when, and even when he, when they come back and say, look, it's, it's been in, in this gun traces back to all these crimes all within the last six months, which is when you say you bought the gun. So, they start pushing him harder, you know, and, and he drops the accent and says, all right, let's negotiate. And you're like, 
you know, and even they were like, we're not negotiating with you. Are you kidding me? You think that he, what does he have to negotiate for? There's no negotiating power there. Still not clicking with me that this could be related to the big thing going on. So either I was just really dense in this episode. I'd like to think that the writers just did a fantastic job of putting these pieces out there without us realizing that they were supposed to be connected at this point. Well, they have done this so well in the past, yeah. and especially uh, connecting the A and the B story or whatever uh, so well that, you know, it's one of these things like, you know, I should have had a V8. I, I should have known that they were going to pull these together somehow because they've done that so well in the past. And yeah, no, I had no idea. I was waiting to find out, you know, the, waiting for the other shoe to drop on the Amir story yeah. to see who he's talking about. And it, and it had dropped already and I didn't realize it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and when they put the hit on Amir, I'm st- I'm still I don't know. I just it wasn't really until it was revealed that what his role was that I was like, oh my gosh, that is so <laughs> brilliant. That's that's fantastic. So yeah, he was yeah, cleaning just, up after the voice, wasn't he? Yeah, yes, he was. And then he realized, well, you know. I guess that means I got to get cleaned up too. And so he's really ready to, uh, to negotiate. How badly do you want this guy? Yeah. Now we knew that there was a cop on the inside who was helping things along. And that's the one thing that I picked up on immediately. And I think it was really because we had no other choice because they give us one uniform with our, with our band of heroes Mm -hmm. right after I don't know that they had spelled out that there was an insider at that point, but I did follow the clues to figure out there's an insider. Whether they had announced it yet or not, I don't recall, but they did pretty quickly go, look, there's an insider here, and then we well, get one the point, uniform. At one point, someone slides something under the door to uh, Easton. That's right. That's right. So, yeah, our, and I don't, I don't know, did you write down his name? I sure didn't, but the... the Chin. Chin, yeah, that's it, yeah knew immediately that he was the insider and not to be trusted even, even before our guys did. But you know, they figured it out, like I said, about a minute later. So it wasn't like I was really on top of this one. And this is one of those, uh, serious gun battles in these two episodes. And the, uh, the eighth precinct is, is going to be under construction, reconstruction for a little while. Uh, it sounds like, well, you know, we're gonna have to strike the set. So let's blow the thing up. There you go. And, uh, it was a, <laughs> It was a serious uh, gun battle, man alive, and uh, you know you've run out of bullets at some point. Yeah, and yep. I mean, that, it, it's again nicely realistic. It isn't like the heroes have an endless supply of of uh, bullets in this clip. It's coming out of you know nowhere, the black hole or whatever. Bam, 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 bam. But uh, yeah, so the uh, that was a, a great little, uh, and, and I think it also precipitated the. Um, it gave Reese the reason to trust Fusco enough with the information about the machine at the end, because he's with him. He, he's been able to, Reese has been able to kind of give him the jokes and the, you know, reminders of his days as a, uh, as a bad cop. And so, uh, you know, so this time he really, uh, I think proved his mettle. You know, I mentioned earlier in our podcast that I was, having a little conversation with my son and we often go on walks after dinner around the neighborhood. And so we were walking, I guess it was Tuesday night. It was before the death episode and, and after this one. And, uh, so we were, we were talking about it cause I was really anticipating Tuesday night's episode. And I, 
I said, um, you know, but here's what happened. We, we, and I kind of gave him like a two minute version of person of interest, like what the machine is, what it does for the government, what our band of, what the, you know, Finch wasn't happy with these numbers going away. And so he does this. And I told him about Fusco and I said, Fusco doesn't know about the machine. And I said, finally, they let him in on, on the machine at the end of this. But as I was describing it to him, I'm like, now they haven't told him about the machine because, you know, they, they think that he'll be safer if he doesn't know about the machine. But while I'm trying to catch him up on the story, I must go through like four or five times where Fusco's almost been killed for the sake of the machine. And it just, it just, it was at, at that moment where I, where I realized fully, I think just how ridiculous their logic was that Fusco doesn't need to know. It's safer for him to not know. I mean, we talk about it over and over again. We talked about the season finale last year and, and this gun battle is just another example of how much danger he is always in. Uh, be and, and, and they think he's safer for not letting him in. And you're right. I mean, this this gun battle and all this stuff. It did. It was the final straw that that made them Reese go. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna bring you in and let you know what's going on. But it really shouldn't have come to that. You know, it's just been time and time <laughs> again where he has has been put in danger. I don't know. I don't know that I mean, well, there was really he's that been big of a tortured. Difference. He's yeah. had a uh, a tunnel fall on him. Yeah. Uh, he has, I, you know, it's it's one of those things that I would say, of all the things, of all the story elements, that's the one the writers kind of dropped the ball on because I get, you know, they needed to string that along for the sake of the story, but it just it, it was really really wasn't that uh, like you said not that believable that they would go this long and ask so much of him and yet still not tell him the real deal. Yeah, I know, but. It is what it is. They get to the end of the series and go, well, I guess we need to write this guy in. So, <laughs> and I don't know, maybe they would have done this had, had the series been going on. I mean, at some point they needed to write him in and go, Hey, Fusco, here's the deal, you know? And, and you know, you and I've also said we appreciate and can understand their desire to keep Fusco safe, but he's not all that safe. And we talked about free will last week and him, mm-hmm wanted to take that action in, into his own hands and, and wanted to have full free will over his destiny. So now he has that. And that feels really, really good. I, I'm still waiting to see the yellow box around his face. Well, so, okay, the yellow box. I was really looking forward to seeing the yellow box on Tuesday night. And we never did get it. But, it, no. but I noticed on our Facebook page, one of our awesome eagle-eyed uh, listeners said, oh, it was there. It was in the intro to the show. And I didn't think to look during the opening credits. So sure enough, today, I went back and I watched the opening credits for episode nine, the one we're talking about right now. And it showed Fusco and it was white box and it said Lionel Fusco. And then when it got to that spot in episode 10, it was yellow box and said primary asset. Oh, man. Now, yeah. okay. Oh, wow. I did not notice that. I do. Oh, goodness. Well, I'm going to definitely keep an eye on it next Tuesday, but yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. All righty. Very good. Very I mean, and this season they have really messed around with that, uh, with that intro. Intro. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. you know, getting rid of it completely, but also, you know, playing around with it. Uh, you know, there's been kind of the standard one with, uh, 
uh, Finch and Greer uh, kind of intermixed uh, with uh, you know describing the machine versus Samaritan. Uh, you are irrelevant, that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. if you uh, don't get out of our way, we'll uh, find you. Uh, okay, so that's a great observation. Uh, okay, I, I, I saw that in the Facebook uh, group there, but I didn't realize what it was referring to. Did she see something that I didn't? Um, but yeah, the intro, wow. Yep. Very, very, like I said, eagle eye there. So um, that was good to see that. Yeah. And, you know, ultimately, I think we mentioned earlier, when finally Easton is shown to be the voice, that was just not seen at all. And uh, Finch finally calls him, now that he's aware of what's, of, of who he is, and confronts him. Now, this, this, little, this little scene was a little odd. Okay. Uh, because Finch talks to say, or says, I mean, I think these were his exact words. You can't be permitted to continue. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, what does that mean? Is is he gonna, you know, because Finch is not the killer type, and he hasn't, you know, he doesn't want to use a gun. He has been critical of Elias's methods. You can't be permitted to continue. Okay, what you gonna do about it? You know, he doesn't right. really, doesn't really. You know, give us any idea of what he's going to do, and then he starts letting him go. My wife's going, "What? That doesn't make any sense. You can't be permitted to continue. Bye, bye." You know, and you know, and I'm thinking, yeah, but maybe there's something else. And then Elias and then with the yeah boomy boomy thing, you know, hurry to hurry to boom boom. <laughs> Thank you. I still think the scene is a little bit odd, and maybe one of the things I I scored it down for just a tiny bit. I loved that Finch said, you can't be allowed to continue because when he said that, I'm like, Ooh, he's finally turned the corner. Mm -hmm. He's finally willing to up the stakes. He's finally willing to make those tough decisions, but he wasn't. And so I I'm with you. I'm like, what were his intentions? And then I thought, well, when Elias blew up the car, I thought, oh, that's it. They, they, were, they planned it that way. But then he looks at Elias, and they even, I don't remember exactly what they said, but you could tell that he wasn't necessarily on, he wasn't aware that Elias had set the bomb. Yeah, yeah I think Elias said something like, you, you knew that had to happen, right? Yeah. Or something yeah. like that, yeah. So it's like, wow, I guess they weren't, they didn't plan that. So what did Finch mean by you can't be permitted to continue? Like, Hey, we know who you are, so stop it, mister. <laughs> That's not going to work, you know? So I'm going to be mad at you, buddy. Yeah. So I was hoping this would have been Finch's turning point. Now, we do get his turning point in the next episode. So, uh, but, but yeah, this whole piece of dialogue where he says, you can't be permitted to continue, and then he doesn't follow it up with anything Elias anything does credible, with, yeah. without him being aware of it was a little bit peculiar. And the line that... Uh, that Easton says, compassion and loyalty make people weak. And understand that from his, from his point, you know, because then you are, you, you can be persuaded, you can be manipulated by threatening the people that you love. But at the same time, I think maybe that is going to be kind of a, it's going to be kind of turned on its head. This is the, the compassion and the loyalty of Team Machine is going to make, is going to be what makes them strong. Uh, I just, it just seemed like that's, that was begging to be, that comparison was begging to be made. And so I think that's ultimately, um, we're going to see a lot of that. And I mean, 
again, next episode we'll see that uh, see a lot of that in terms of the loyalty, especially. Yeah, and Samaritan has said those sorts of things as well. Greer has, you know, kind of said that we, you know, loyalty, compassion, uh, friendship, those sorts of things are weaknesses. They're they're flaws in someone's character. So it would, it it is a theme that we've seen before. And frankly, we've seen it with Elias's group. Their loyalty to each other, you could say, was a weakness. Their compassion and friendship, you could say, helped bring them down. But at the same time, it also made them stronger. And I think that's, that's the, the flip side of that, is that we are stronger, better together um, than we are otherwise. So it will be interesting to see how those, those things play out now that, Finch has had the switch or, or made the turn or crossed the line, however you want to phrase it, to to see what his per- perspective is on that, especially as his friends are two less than they were, mm, yeah. you know, going into this week. Of course, we haven't reached that point in our story yet as our discussion goes, but we kind of need to look at it in a bigger picture that way, I think. And I think the loyalty is going to be, well, it's kind of mentioned in, in a you know, sideways way when... Reese says that these days not even the precinct is safe, so maybe the best thing we can do is trust each other. Mm-hmm. And that's the point where he brings in Fusco, but it's, I think, directly against the idea that uh, compassion and loyalty will make them weak. They have to bring them in, and main main reason they brought Fusco in is because of his loyalty. That's right. So yeah. uh, so I think they've brought him in. I think the, the group is stronger now, and uh, and I love the little closing... Uh, view they shot over you know looking at uh, New York City it was kind of like I believe the shot one of the shots from either the first or somewhere in the first season hmm. the first episode or or somewhere in the first season where just Finch and Reese are standing looking at uh, New York City knowing that it's just those two against you know all the uh, all the bad guys out there and then we had this time with the whole crowd uh, standing out there looking at uh, at New York City same shot I think and uh, that was a great, great little, uh, you know, getting the band back together again. Yeah. And as I'm describing the show to my son at this point, I go, but see, here's the thing. This show's about to end. And this was kind of a nice little happy shot to close out the episode with them all together. We haven't even talked about Shaw and Root. We're about to talk about that here in our B storyline. But the whole band is back together. They're, they've, they've survived this, this thing with the voice and the assault on the precinct. And it was just like, this is the calm before the storm. This is when all the crap is about to hit the fan and bodies are going to drop. And I just, I told Colby, I said, I don't know who's going to die tonight, but <laughs> I have a feeling at least one person is going to die. And that, that turned out to be the case. So this was, and we talked about, he and I actually talked about storytelling and, and writers and how they'll, they'll write these, a, a story in, in waves of ups and downs and peaks and valleys. And, and I said, this is that, you know, that resting moment before Frodo has to go and face his final battle at Mordor type of thing. And that's kind of mm-hmm. what we got here. Although probably not the final battle, but, you know, pretty close to it, pretty close to it. Yeah. So let's talk about the, uh, the B and C storyline. I mean, they're kind of together with, with root and, and Shaw and really the opening moments of the episode were 
in Mexico, I think. Correct me if I if I misunderstood. That's the impression I got. Yeah. Okay. So she I somehow guess, made her way all the way there. Wow. Yeah. So I guess she took because she was in South Africa last we saw her. So I guess she took a boat across the Atlantic to somewhere in South America, maybe Central America. We don't know where she she docked and is now making her way north to the U.S. trying to cross the border. Um, and when you think about it, that probably is a safer way than going through Europe because there's going to be much more surveillance and, and stuff like that going on in Europe than there are in a lot of the parts of South and Central America. So I don't know if that was her motivation or if it was just a more direct route. I don't know. We didn't get that. This really got sped up. We didn't get to see. Yeah. You know, how well, she got I think if they'd had more, B. if they'd had more time to, uh, yeah. the season to deal with that, I think we'd have seen more of the, uh, the travels, but they just had to go poof, Mexico, yeah. poof, New York city. Thank exactly. You. That's really what they did. Mexico, poof, New York city, poof. You know, that was, <laughs> yeah. So it was cool though, to see her, uh, come out of who knows where and, and kick butt and rescue the people. That was a lot of, it was a nice scene to start the episode. Yeah, yeah, and she's doing. I like what she said to Root when they when they finally meet again. That uh, you know she's just taking out Samaritan one agent at a time, and it just so happens that their paths crossed, and good thing they did. And this was a this is a great scene when they come together, and we had the scene where they came together the first time in the simulation, and you know Shaw's been rehearsing that for a long time but this is you know this is the first time for real and it was a great uh, a great scene there and i liked the what she said about that uh you know she doesn't uh, doesn't trust herself um that the the mind control that greer and his crowd were doing she says it actually worked i had always you know killed people on the team but i could never kill you but I always killed myself, you know. So she's she's remembering all of these things. Seven more than seven thousand uh, simulations, mm-hmm. and she finally, you know, it's almost as though she is not entire, still not convinced after all that she has been through to get from South Africa to New York City, that she is still not convinced that it's, uh, you know, they've robbed her of realities, so that she has no idea, you know, what is real and what isn't. So when she goes to kill herself again. This time, uh, root and and it's a it's a brilliant strategy. Well, if you're going to kill yourself, I'm going to kill myself. I can imagine. Um, uh, I I can't imagine that the uh, the Samaritan crowd would have ever predicted something like that happening, and so it never did. You know, uh, the the root in the simulations, you know, never uh, threatened that. And I two things. Number one, I don't think they understood the strength of the feelings between them. And number two, just didn't think that it would go quite that far. You know, Root would ever go quite that, uh, uh, in, you know, into uh, even just, you know, threatening to kill herself if you kill yourself. And again, there's that uh, compassion and loyalty that they are not catching. And when it expresses itself right in front of Shaw, she can real- realize that, yes, this is true. This is reality. I could never kill you. And but but you are willing to kill yourself to make sure that I don't kill myself. And I mean, that's, you know, so that was an extremely powerful scene right there. Yeah, it was. It it absolutely was. That scene where they're both holding guns to their heads and trying to figure out who's, who, if either is going to pull the trigger first to figure out if this is, is this the real life 
Or is it just fantasy? <laughs> Caught in a landslide. No escape from reality. Simulation. <laughs> <laughs> um, but having said that, this was another scene, or, or not, not a scene, not, not that scene. The scene with guns to heads, brilliant, loved it, really cool. But all that prior to that, with the one or two encounters we got, because it wasn't all, it didn't all happen at once. We see them meet, and then I think it breaks or goes to commercial or something else, you know. And it really left me wanting more. It, you know, because we talked earlier in the season when, when, when they met and we realized, oh, it was all just a simulation. What's going to happen when they really do meet? Have they, have, have they ruined that or did they, did they, because it was all fake. And I, I, I didn't really know how I would respond to the real, the real reunion until we got the real reunion. Then I was, I was really disappointed. At the moment that they reunited, that's not to say that's not to take away from this gun scene because that was that was really really good. But we got a little bit of a reunion and then boom, it was gone, and and it just didn't feel cohesive. I didn't get to li- live in the moment, soak in that moment, and mm-hmm. and it was just there and it was gone, and it was and then we went on to the rest of the storyline, and it was almost like it didn't matter, didn't feel the weight of what that true reunion was going to be. Um, and I was so, yeah, that's another reason why I rated the episode down just a little bit. Again, I gave it a nine, so it's not like I'm, you know, beating it up too bad. But I was, I was disappointed with when the, the actual moment of reunion uh, between these two. Maybe if it had played out in a longer scene that built up, you know, consecutively to the gun moment, then I might feel differently. But because it was just chopped up along, because they do, that's the way they tell these stories. They tell a little bit of A, a little bit of B, a little bit of A. You know, they kind of build it through the episode. Um, so it, it kind of took away from that moment for me. They may have kind of hobbled themselves, the writers, in uh, in dealing with this because they had already dealt with it in one sense with the simulations. And so you don't want it to be, oh, this again. Uh, you don't want it to be a letdown. Uh, so they, they, and, and you don't want it to take too much time, I guess. I mean, they're really trying to get through... Uh, Quite a bit of story here, especially mm-hmm. for uh, uh, you know the A story. So I, I think they kind of painted themselves in a corner by you know dealing with it a couple of episodes ago, and then when we have when we do it again, um, you know it couldn't be it couldn't quite be as emotional because it really was emotional before. And now I have a feeling maybe they thought the viewers would be like, oh come on, we just did this, you know, it's all the same. They did it a little differently. That was good, but they couldn't dwell too much on it. That's my guess. Yeah, and I don't know that they could have done what they did before. I'm not, and I don't, I don't, I'm glad they didn't do that. I just, I think I would have liked it better if, if, if all that happened between them from the moment they discovered, oh my gosh, you're root, oh my gosh, you're Shaw, to the moment where they were like guns to head. If that had all been one congruent scene, continuous, yeah, Mm -hmm. I think I would have, I would have been perfectly happy with that. But all in all, it was good. It was a great scene the standoff, if you will. Um, and the whole episode was really, really good. Yeah, no, it was fantastic. And it was a great, uh, like I said, a great uh, number of the week with, you know, that made, that made sense with the story that mattered to the overall, uh, arc. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of things that mattered to the overall arc, Mm -hmm. the day the world went away, had a lot of that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. 
This uh, this episode, let's talk about it. Um, one thing I noticed right out of the gate, I did pay more attention to the credits on this one, and I noticed because they always every week they do something where Reese is looking through the camera, and then the next shot is our POI of that week, and so that's mm-hmm. our little Doing, preview. Yeah, one of the scenes later on, yeah, yeah, exactly, a preview of a scene later on. And this week there wasn't; it was just Harold on the phone, and I was like, "Well, that's weird." Does that mean there's not a POI? That was my first thought. Does that, does that mean there's not a POI? <laughs> Instead of what should have been my first thought was, does that mean Harold's the POI? <laughs> <laughs> uh, which we got answered pretty quickly. But I did notice in the opening credits that, that there wasn't a, a POI. It was just Finch on the phone. Yeah, and um, and we start with Finch not needing to be on the phone. I guess he's just talking to the machine about... You know, about the future. Do the people that I've roped into helping me get out alive? He's just trying to find out, you know, if the machine really can predict the future, then perhaps it can give him a little insight into what's coming. Mm-hmm. Um, he's pretty sure that he's not going to make it, but uh, but he'd like to at least know that the people around him are going to make it, as we find out later. Eh, maybe not. Like you said, when, you know, things are going to hit the fan and... I have observed that when things hit the fan, it's not always evenly distributed. So, <laughs> yes, indeed. Now, I didn't quite catch, and I, I mean, we caught, we talked about a little, or they mentioned a little later about at the cafe, the waitress uh, thought she knew Finch. He says, no, it's his first time there. And she recognized the order yep. that he had placed. And it's like, once we find out later, this is where he and Grace had their first date. How many years ago was that? I think he said 10 years. Yeah, so, I mean, number one, the same waitress. Number two, that she would remember, you know, the order from 10 years ago. I that I, I was still not quite sure what was going on there. Was there something else going on that I missed? All right, well, let me, no, let no. me throw something out. This is, a, this is a theory that I hope is not true. <laughs> the name of the cafe was Sognare, and I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that right. I probably have the inflection wrong somewhere. It's Italian. And it means dream. Ah. We got a lot of talk in this episode from Root about everything is a simulation. We're all shapes. Some of us have really nice shapes, if I might say so, Doug. <laughs> that's, a, that's a little <laughs> awkward there. <laughs> um, but Root was just talking about how everything, we never die. It's, we know. Elias isn't really dead, and and I don't remember who else she named. Uh, Carter she named, and mm-hmm. and uh, but it was like everything is a simulation. And then we have this cafe named Sognare, which means dream in Italian. And I'm like, what are they saying? Are they saying yeah. this whole thing, meaning this episode, is really a simulation? Are they saying this whole thing, like this season, is a simulation? Are they saying this whole thing, this entire show is a simulation or a dream or something? You know, they could come around at the end of the show and the whole thing has been a simulation and it hasn't even been given over to the government yet. Or at some point, like we pick up the story at some point and everything we thought we've seen has been a dream or a simulation. I mean, those are two separate things, except a dream is kind of like a simulation in, the, in your mind. But, mm-hmm. you know, so... And I hope that's not true. I'm not saying they can't do it in a way where I won't feel jaded and ripped off. But my initial reaction is, if that's true, 
I'm going to be jaded and feel ripped off. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? I think they're going to do Dallas one better, and instead of make a whole a whole season a dream, make the entire <laughs> that's right the entire series a dream. Wow, a horrible, horrible dream for those of you who remember that. Yeah. Um, man alive. Now that I mean, yes, you can see that being like. Something that the the machine is in its infancy, and Harold has just been uh, training it and teaching it, and it's been going through. Because we've seen, uh, if then else, was uh, mm-hmm. it going through uh, all the chess moves, so to speak, to get them out of a particular situation, and and kind of smacking it upside the the face here with uh, Shaw in those simulations, getting the person through them. Um, a simulation within a simulation, you know. How far in simulation do we want to go here? So yeah, I'd, boy, I, I I think I agree with you. If they do that, that would just I wouldn't feel good about it. That would be too easy a way okay. out. Okay, what if they did this? I'm just trying to think through this. How how could I possibly be happy with this? What uh, if we get to the end and we see maybe we think Finch is dead? Maybe 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 Finch dies. Powers down. And then, I don't know if it powers back. I don't know what happens. But something, the perspective changes and Finch is alive and he tells Nathan, you know, an assimilation, 10 million, 9 billion, whatever, right? (laughs) And it always ends up the same. I think we need to tell the government it can't be done. And they, they turn it off. They kill the machine. That would be sad, knowing what the machine is to us now. but. Ingram is still alive, maybe, and and Grace and Finch go walking hand in hand off in the sunset together. Of course, that 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 negates Shaw and it negates Reese and it negates Root, and so I don't know that I would still be happy with that because those are big big deals. But at least they're still alive. Whereas, spoiler alert: Root is dead. So. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just throwing out ideas if it were Well, a dream. you know, and then we would really have a tough time judging the Live Another Day contest. <laughs> we might just have to throw them all in a hat and pick a winner. <laughs> pick one. <laughs> or, you get a DVD, you get a DVD, you get a DVD. Everybody. <laughs> this is the Oprah podcast. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I still, I still can't. No, I don't, I don't think I'd be satisfied with that. Hmm. We'll see. We got three episodes left, but let's talk about this one first. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Now, I like the fact that Root knows that Finch was considering closing up the machine, you know, not being open anymore, Mm -hmm. because it has run the the simulations in its head, you know, looking ahead, and it it told her, he's going to shut me down. Not shut me down, but shut me off. Yep. What was it now? There was a great line from Root, I believe, when he's, uh, she accuses him of being too high-minded to let the machine help them. Uh, you know, he wants to keep it under control still. And her line was, we're going to be, we're going to end at the most principled corpses in Potter's field. Yes. Uh, oh man. I mean, that's, that's, that's really bringing it home. Yeah. But there's, I mean, and, and that's true. I mean, look, if, if, if Finch is nothing, he's principled. And which, yes. when you, when you contrast that line with when he's sitting in there being interrogated by the FBI, and says what he says, you know, oh, I could add threatening a federal agent to your list of charges. I'm not talking to you. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, I have played by the rules and I'm just trying to decide how many of them I'm going to break when I kill you. And 
we're, that's bookended. Those are the bookends of this episode where, where you're talking about a very, very principled man. And now he is to the point where he realizes some of his principles are going to have to be adjusted <laughs> for, let's put it politely. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it was really, really interesting. Now I also thought was interesting is that root is saying, look, you've never given the machine a name because you had to kill it the first 40 times. You've never even given it a voice. And so he just says, okay. Thank you. It had been way too long. And he says, (laughs) okay, cool. And he just walks over and says, we'll let it choose it for itself. I'm locking myself out. And he, he took that feedback from, from her and just kind of was really open-minded to that. So I thought that was really a nice gesture on on his part and and kind of open-minded. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was really, really nice. Yeah. I mean, and I, when she talked about, you know, you haven't named it, um, you know, I, my wife grew up overseas and, uh, in, uh, the place they had, they had a cow and, you know, they gave the cow a name and one that stopped giving milk, they, uh, they slaughtered it and, you know, had beef. But, you know, it's one thing to say, this is a cow. It's another one to say, that's Annabelle or whatever, you mm-hmm. know? So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things where you don't want to get too attached to it. And he didn't want to, you know, for you know, the first 40 times and even this 41st time, if, uh, if that's all that's going on here, just the one, one more after those 40. Uh, yeah, he doesn't any, you know, uh, he didn't consider the machine his child. Mm-hmm. It was a machine and it's not a computer. It's not an AI. When he does the introduction, it's always, you know, being watched. The government has a secret system, a machine. It doesn't have a name. It's, a machine. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. Period. And yeah, so this was really, I think, a a breakthrough, so to speak. You know that that root has finally got him to see. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe you have a point here. And I need to. Uh, uh, after all this persuading, he finally decides he does have to uh, give her a uh, give her credit where credit is due. And go ahead, let's let it talk to us. Thank you. I don't think it's got a name though. I don't think it's got a name either, although we could call it Root, I suppose. Um, At this point, yeah. Or Samantha. It is a she now, of course, yes. Yeah, of course. Now, she Root also said that she, I don't know if this is when she said it or if it was later, that she put some code into the machine that Harold, that was basically dormant code, but Harold could invoke it at any time. And so that was kind of our Chekhov's gun of this episode, because you knew that that was going to, we didn't know if it was going to come back this episode. And frankly, I'm still not quite sure if that's what he invoked when he spoke to the machine to to get us out of here, you know, when the phone rang. I don't know if that was invoking that code or if if that was just the machine obeying his commands and we're going to see her code invoked at some other point in the future. My guess is it's, yeah, when, when her code's invoked, you'll know it. Yeah, well, that's my, that's my guess, that, but yeah. that's why I'm not sure, because like 600 criminals got out and the city's like going crazy. So I, I don't know. I mean, that's pretty crazy, but I, I'm kind of with you, Doug. I think that we haven't seen it yet. <laughs> yeah, this I think it's going to be, yeah, uh, she's going to have to, you know, manually invoke the self-destruct sequence or whatever, you know, Kirk on the bridge going, you know, destruct, zero, zero, zero kind of thing. And that, I think it's going to be, you know, very obvious. Ladies, ladies and gentlemen, this is it. Thank you. Yeah. And it's going to be a big, big deal. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be, uh, um, 
gosh, what was it in in Star Star Wars? The uh, the code that Order sixty six. Yeah, yeah, that said all the stormtroopers. Yeah, that's what it's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> Glad that you had that memorized. At least you watched something, Doug. I did. I did watch. <laughs> I I worked my way through all of Jar Jar Binks. You're welcome. <laughs> well, that's that's. Uh, if that turned you off for movies, I can't say I blame you. <laughs> All right. Um, so where are we at fin- here? Finch is the number. Finch Finch is the word. He's, uh, he's Professor Whistler again. Trying to, somebody's trying to get uh, good grades out of him. Good luck That's with that, right. honey. That's not going to happen. <laughs> and people are already coming for him. I was surprised at how quickly that all happened. I would have thought that the machine would have given him, I don't know, a little... Bit of a head start, you know, but immediately there's guys, you know, Samaritan goons coming in, man alive. Yeah, they well, give any time. His cover was blown when he went back to the same location that he and Grace had gone to ten years ago, and so I mean, it makes sense from that from the when you think about it, from that was the moment his cover was blown, and he got all the way to his office and started the meeting with the student. You know, we don't know how much time has passed, but you know, enough for Samaritan to be hot on your heels, that's for sure. And I loved the uh, the name of the uh, company or whatever that is that you know we had Ernest Thornhill as the company for the machine for for Samaritan. It's come up with temporary resolutions. That is to say, we're going to get you out of the way temporarily. Thank you, or maybe permanently. Who knows? Yeah, a temporary resolution doesn't sound like something you would want. Like we can resolve that for you temporarily. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know that I want that. I kind of want it permanently. Re- well, we can do that too. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just kind of wondering what their marketing material looks check, like. Check the box. Temporary, permanent. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now you picked up on something really spectacular. So from so, so they, they get to the safe house and they don't know yet. They haven't figured out yet how Finch got compromised. Mm-hmm. And they think that all of them might be compromised at this point. So the safe house may no longer be safe. And of course, that's where they've been keeping Elias. So everybody kind of needs to scatter and Elias is like, Oh, I, I got this. Look, you, you come with me. And I think there was some, some line about, uh, we're talking about an all seeing threat here. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Kind of, kind of, yeah. We'll talk about Sauron. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. He's like, <laughs> hey, I was the all seeing eye before there was one. And, and, and so he takes him back to the building where we first, where they first met each other, or where we well, first met Elias. And well, for, you, well you first I want to mention that his, his all-seeing eye reference, uh-huh. you know, it says to me, my, my, my question was, has he been read in? I don't think he has been, and I don't think we're intended to think he's been. Well, but he's, he's got, you know, he, he seems to have figured out more than Fusco certainly did. Sure. Um, and it just seemed all-seeing eye, you know, all those cameras, and it does... I don't know. It almost sounds like he's figured out more or has been told more. I, but again, I don't think we're supposed to read that into it. It just, it really sounded like he had uh, figured out a whale of a lot more. I don't think he thinks it's a, um, you know, a computer, but he's, uh, you know, I was the all seeing eye, like, like you said, he said. Um, but uh, why? I just, it just really hit me like, hmm, I have yeah, to keep I- an eye on this guy. I think he knows, I think he's picked up on a lot. You know, even back, you remember they, he and um, Finch were in the subway last season and he mentioned that something has changed in the world. This was near the beginning of last season. Mm-hmm. And so he's, he's kind of been observing and seeing things. Uh, and I think, so he had put some things together. 
But I also got the impression that after he was shot at the end of last season and they took him to the safe house, that they shared more information with him. But still, I don't think he's been fully read in. I think he's picked up on some stuff. Like if he had a box above his head, I think it would still be white. Yeah, yeah, that's that's probably true. It's just when that one line just seemed, that one phrase just really stuck out to me. Yeah. Yeah, and Judy is pointing out in our chat that the all-seeing eye is a part of the seal of the U.S., the United States seal at the top of the pyramid. And I think that's an Illuminati thing, isn't it? I think, uh, I don't know if it's Illuminati specifically, but I think they use some of the same imagery. Okay, okay. Well, it was cool. So did you immediately notice that they had gone back to that housing project? When they were walking in the courtyard, I remembered, you know, just that, I think they were trying to get the same kind of shot to Uh remind people. And I looked at that, I said, yeah, it was kind of, you know, uh, like three wings, one directly in front of them and two on the side. And it's like, this looks familiar here. Uh But, uh, and that's where, you know, Finch found the teacher that he was, that was the uh, person of the week. So I'm sitting in, standing in a line in San Diego at San Diego Comic-Con 2012-ish. And my friends Jay and Jack Glatfelter and Colleen, uh, Jay's wife, were there. And they were in line a little bit, I think, behind me or maybe I was behind them. I don't remember. But at one point, because the line is snaking, we're, we're there together. And I think one of us just ended up getting out of line and we kind of hung out for a while. I don't remember exactly, but I do remember we were there together and in line for one of the panels and we were talking about what we were excited about. And one of them said, have you watched Person of Interest? And I said, yeah, I watched like the first three episodes and it wasn't really my thing. It was way too procedural for me. And they said, no, 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 no. You got to watch Person of Interest. Give it to like episode five, six. I don't remember which. They gave me an episode number. They're like, there's this guy named Elias. Watch it till you get to that point. And then if, you, if you're not interested in the show after that episode, fine. But at least give it until that episode. So I'm like, okay, cool. So I go home. And a few weeks later, I fire up my Netflix. And I watch up to the Elias episode. And, I, and some of you have been listening to our podcast for a long time. may recall this. And I was like, holy cow, this show is amazing. I mean, that was the turning point for me. And it was this episode where we saw him in this environment back in the day and how we thought he was the Vic. And then it turned out he was the, he was the perp. And, and then when he became a recurring character, you know, it, it, you know this, Doug, cause you've done so many of these with me. It was like, anytime there was Elias, it was automatically a good episode. Mm-hmm, not that, mm-hmm. not that I, it, 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 that's all that it took to be a good episode, but it never failed that when Elias was in an episode, it was a great episode. And so I very much love Elias and, and this, the callback to this moment, this place was really spectacular, particularly since this ended up being his, his death episode. So really love that they did that, that they brought us back here and kind of, gave us those nostalgic feels for when we first encountered this magnificent character that they gave us on this show. We're getting a lot of that in this season. We get the, the, uh, the heroes looking over New York city, like, you know, Finch and Reese did at the beginning, uh, you know, the first season and now the, a larger group. And then, you know, again, bookending, 
Elias at the we, where we first see him first and where we see him last. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I agree with you that Elias has been a, a very, uh, been a fantastic character. Very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, when, when they weave him into uh, a, an episode, he just he just comes out. You you are impressed with he's he's the bad guy. He's one of the bad guys, but you get to see him a little bit of a heart. Little, you know, you see some of that loyalty that, you know, we saw earlier where Easton called that a weakness and Greer thinks so as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so in his own way, in his character, he, yes, he has uh, some uh, redeeming qualities and he certainly uh, redeemed himself here trying to keep Finch safe, knowing that, you know, this is not somebody who's going to be, he's, he's not doing this because Finch can do something for him. That's not, a, that's not the point. He just uh, had a good friendship with him. Yep. He's come to respect him, and so he was doing, you know, doing a good deed for a friend. Yeah, and that's exactly it. I mean, Finch could offer him nothing. There was nothing, mm-hmm. you know, and and even I don't know if it was this episode or the previous one where Finch is like, "We're not in a position to pay you," and he's like, "I don't want that. I just want to be able to go with you um, to protect you." I think it was the previous episode, but either way. We see their friendship displayed, and uh, it, and we see the loyalty of of Elias. He is a he he is a, a criminal with a heart and a mob boss with with compassion. Very loyal, and even yes, though he is yeah. a mob boss and, and a crime lord, um, he's principled, and he's a he's a he's a multi layered character. One that we can get behind, we can empathize with, we can root for. And when some dirty work needs to be done, he can do that too. And that needs to be done in this world of POI. So he was a great character. And uh, I, like I said, I, I always loved uh, Person of Interest episodes when we were treated with him. So I hate to see him go. I mean, we haven't got to his death scene quite yet, but it was well, a great character. Before that, mm-hmm. we had another gun battle. We did. Gotta have those gun battles. Man alive. Yeah. Yes, over in... Temporary resolutions. They want to see the supervisor and the, yep. uh, you know, Finch. I'm sorry, Fusco and uh, Reese are ushered into an office, and all of a sudden, nothing's happening. No sound. No nothing. And they realize the place has been emptied out. And here come the goons. The the the, the, re- the resolvers, shall we say? <laughs> and yeah. another hail of bullets. Man alive. Yeah, they. I guess they had a bunch of. Um... You know those TV bullets that they use the, the the impact things they use on the walls and stuff. I don't know what those things are called. And like, hey, we got a whole we got a whole case of these. Uh, we got uh, five episodes left. Uh, so <laughs> we they, had two seasons worth. Now what do we do? Yeah. Oh, I got an idea. Yeah, we got two episodes here. Of course, so there may be a whole bunch more coming. But these two episodes, man, gun battles <laughs> galore, and it was fantastic. And they do that there, and then we do that uh, again. As uh, now, this is great. This is a great writing uh, bit here, where Elias has negotiated a truce between the gangs that usually fight in this place, and so that he can get Finch in there, in and out of there safely. And when we see the goons, Finch immediately knows. Wait a minute, you've done something that is anomalous. It's out of the ordinary, and that's the thing that the kind of thing that uh, Samaritan picks up on. Mm-hmm. There's no fighting. Why? Suddenly the all-seeing eye on top of, you know, uh, Mordor turns around and it sees the um, the high-rise apartment complex there and it's like, keep an eye on this. And sure enough, there they go. They're coming in and uh, 
he's trying to get again trying to get Harold out great peril to himself uh could very well you know not end up nicely and he's still doing it for Harold and nonetheless he uh his driver is out and then that that I was oh man that was a that was a, a quote unquote good death scene I mean he he went out not you know being shot up by a Samaritan sniper not slipping on a banana peel, whatever, doing the thing, you know, that has endeared him to us, acting on his principles, doing the right thing, you know, uh, you know, not the, not the crime boss typical stuff, but actually doing the right thing and trying to get Harold out uh, to a safe place. He, he fails in that. And, you know, it's, it's a sad, it's a sad way to go out, but he went out with honor, shall we say, if I may sound like a Klingon, he went out with honor. (laughs) And he did so. That was a great, a great way to write that out. Yeah, you know, I loved the conversation that Elias and Finch had, where they mentioned the boxing. You remember last season there was the boxing pictures in the restaurant. And we talked about mm. how Muhammad Ali and I don't. It wasn't Joe Frazier. It might have been George Foreman. Uh, I think it was Foreman. The, yeah, yeah. One was the older. One was the younger. And we we kind of drew those parallels to that storyline with him so, and Dominic. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with him and Dominic. Thank you. And now we we hear a callback again to boxing, and I, I can't help but think about that. And it was nice to hear that uh, that callback. And he says, "Look, if I'm going to go down, I want to go down swinging. I want to go down on the mat, not on the with throwing in a towel." And that's what we got. It was so cool to see. The, the elevator opened up and he's like, they're dead. And there are his guys. They've killed the goons. <laughs> safe, safe trip down oh, to the ground Oh, they're in the floor. elevator. They're yeah. just not alive. <laughs> yeah. And then we get, and it looks like they're trapped. Oh, there's the mop bucket guy. Pop, pop. You're done. And it was like, Elias is so, he's in control. He's got this. But when they get to the car and the driver is dead, it, you do get that feeling like, Uh-oh. oh no, Elias has been outmaneuvered. His plan didn't get executed flawlessly. Every and, step of the way right until then, yeah. Yeah, and then boom, we barely have a moment to consider that when he turns around and headshot. And, you know, it was obvious that it was just like Dominic last year. There was no debate. Dominic got a headshot. He's gone. There was debate about Elias. Well, that debate is now settled. He is gone. And it was, um, you know, like I said, I love this character. He's one of my favorite two characters in the entire show, and he's gone. And it, if it, it was, as you said, it was a good death. You know, we knew that not everybody was going to make it. The odds were that he was going to be one of them that didn't make it, even though he wasn't on our list because we thought he was dead. From we the, thought he was dead know. already. <laughs> um, not dead yet. So yeah, yeah, it's very very sad though. Still, yeah. Well, that sets up the kind of the confrontation between, you know, the two shall we say, priests of each machine, yeah. Greer and Finch. And, you know, that was, that, that was a very tense moment. That was, that was well done. And I like this uh, line out of Greer who said, uh, you know, one day, a day you may not see now, you will work for Samaritan of your own accord. Yeah. And I'm trying to think, what sort of thing could he have in mind? Is there something in Greer that we have not seen yet? Is there, you know, is he going to appeal to, uh, you know, Finch's better angels and say, look, you've seen what can happen. You know, you've got friends who have died. You know, I think maybe, you know, Greer sees 
or has maybe Samaritan has seen what is going to happen. He's going to be able to take out some of these people. And so uh, to prevent any more uh, deaths and to prevent, you know, the people he's roped in, as he said, to prevent them from, uh, from paying the price that he thinks he ought to pay, that he'll say, okay, okay, leave them alone. I will help you out. I'm that's, that's how I see that. Uh, what, what Greer was trying to, uh, you know, mm-hmm. get to that. He's going to get it, get uh, Finch to a point where, He's just going to say, that's it. You know, I, I love these people. You're killing them. And I'm going to, you know, do what you, what you need to do. And hopefully maybe Finch can um, rationalize it saying, you know, maybe I'll give Samaritan the same ethics I gave the machine. Maybe this, maybe that, you know, I, but of his own accord, I can, I can't, I can't see that as a throwaway line. I think that's going to be, I think it's going to get paid off and it's got to be paid off pretty soon, I guess. Yeah, and I don't know if it's going to get paid off in in any other way than it gives us a a bit of a uh, insight into the plan in, of of Samaritan for Finch. It's not to kill him, you know. That would be too easy. because I mean, wouldn't that be worse to keep you alive and make you do something that you are yeah mm-hmm. just in your core objected to? It, it, but for the sake of saving those that you care about most, you know. Finch and Grace and whomever else might be living at the end of this. And so that's, that's to the pain type of stuff right there. <laughs> the rescue of Harold by uh, the, uh, most of the rest of team machine there. Yeah. Um, I, I really appreciate another gun battle. Yeah. Got a small one. Tiny. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it went on for a little while because we had enough time for a metaphysical uh, conversation between Root and Shaw. <laughs> And I, I like Shaw is going uh, now. Now, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, that 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 seemed a little forced. I guess they had to get them together in order to have that conversation. And as they're having a the conversation, it's like this is the goodbye speech. You know, yep. this is uh, this this seems like she's getting a lot of lines here that uh, that talk about um, you know dead but not gone kind of stuff. Yep. And so yep. it was kind of you know, poking you there saying, yeah, something's going to happen here. So, yeah. But, you know, the real world is a simulation anyway. And I think what she was talking about there is that since, and I, I think it, it, it goes along with some people's view of quote unquote immortality. Mm-hmm. The, all of us are still alive in this machine simulation. The machine has us going, you know, back and forth and figuring out what we're going to do. And, and so as long as we're alive there, we're, we're, you know, we're dead, but not gone. And, this uh, maybe this whole the whole life we've been in is a simulation kind of getting back to your is this going to be something that uh, we wind up sh- showing at the end is all just one big simulation these five five years. But it, it it's kind of back to the idea of, well, if I remember so and so, then they're not really dead. Well, as as Root says, dead, yeah, but not gone well, mm-hmm. in, in your in your in your mind, perhaps. But I've just never. The idea that that somebody lives forever as long as we remember them. I I, I remember um, a question somebody asked Woody Allen, and they asked him, "Do you think you'll achieve immortality through your movies?" And he said, "Well, I'd rather achieve immortality by not dying, you know." So <laughs> right. yeah. there, there, there's all different kinds of you know ways that people kind of figure immortality into their worldview and. You know, I think this was Root's way of doing it, being the computer babe that she is. So maybe that's uh, 
like I said, maybe that's her way of incorporating that into her worldview as well. But it, it, it seemed, I don't know, it seemed a little artificial, if you will, you know, computer. But, but I mean, just, she, it, it seemed a little forced. And um, I understand what she was trying to say, I think, but I, I wasn't too, I didn't like that conversation. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you, I think, or, or at least for the most part. I definitely felt it, I definitely feel that it felt forced. And I think it's just because of the lack of time. Maybe that's the conversation that she felt the the writers felt like she needed to have with Shaw, and they needed to make that you know play out the way that it did. Shaw couldn't escape right away and feel the full weight of what's going on this season. I don't know, um, but that, those conversations. I'm with you though. As soon as she started having them, I mean, she had kind of a deep conversation with Harold in the beginning of the episode. Now we have this one here. She's about to have another one with Harold when they get into the car, their final conversation. And you just knew this is not, these are death speeches. These are parting words. And, and, you know, you, you posted something in the, in the notes. I'm not sure where you put it here of, uh, or maybe it was on the Facebook page. I saw somewhere you put like, did she know she was going to die or whatever? And I wondered that too. I thought, I wonder if the machine told her today, is your day. Mm. And so if you knew what, if you knew you were going to die and leave behind these friends, what would you say to them to console them? Well, there's your conversation with Shaw um, to, to change their attitude or to, to, to kind of tell them your, your dying wishes, if you will. Well, there's her conversations with Finch. So I don't know if she knew or not. I'd like to think that maybe she did and she was okay with dying. I think she was always okay with dying. And she didn't tell her friends just so they wouldn't get worried about her. Yeah. But here are the things that I want you to understand before I go. And I'd like to think that that's true because if it is true, I think that when you look back at the conversations she had this episode, they're really even more fantastic. Whether you agree with what she said about the metaphysical stuff and, you know, not living forever and the simulations and the shapes and all that stuff, <laughs> you know, it is what it is, but the shapes, the, 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 the sentiment behind it, um, I think was, is really good. And if you, if you, if, if she knew that she was dying, then it just becomes that much more beautiful and powerful. So I'm going to choose to believe that she knew that she was going to die when, when all was said and done on this day. Yeah. Yeah. I can go with that, yeah, and that, and that would make some of this make a little more sense. Mm-hmm. You know, why are we why are we making this uh, conversation in the middle of a gunfight? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because it was it did felt feel, you know, I if you want to pass on something like that, fine. But it went on and on like she wouldn't. It wasn't just one or two lines here. It was like this whole conversation while guns are blazing, and that's where <laughs> it felt forced. We've had one liners or even a couple of lines here and there, and that, those are okay. It's like really now. But it kept going on and on and on. And that's where it kind of felt forced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, then, and like you said, they uh, they pick up uh, Root and Root grabs the car and hits out uh, heads out with uh, Harold, and even more big bigger guns yeah. <laughs> come out of the uh, tops of cars. There, man, alive! Yeah. Awesome. And I what I was impressed with, you know, we get the car chases. You know, this is the really we're coming down to the action uh, episodes here. Yeah, they blew so much budget on these two episodes. Oh man. She's shooting out the, out the moonroof with this big old gun. Yeah, that's great. And uh, she's steering with her foot. <laughs> yes. 
And I, I wonder if the machine is, because, you know, we've seen it before. It was like 11 o'clock, 10 o'clock. I wonder if the machine is like telling her how to do her foot or if she's oh. just going off of like, you know, because she's looking out the back. So she could kind of be steering it based on what she's seeing. But either way, it was awesome. Well, speaking of directed, we got Jeff, you know, Jeff the painter uh, coming yeah. back. He's getting directed. He's getting, I guess he's got a little earpiece. Yeah. And uh, the the Samaritan's telling him, you know, third floor, 4G, you know, 3G, out on the balcony. Here's the license plate. And, and now this seemed a little out of character for Jeff as well. He was, the last time we saw him, he was uh, in the hospital trying to... Uh, kill or he was being told to kill uh, a nurse and a doctor and now he's going up there with a sniper rifle told to shoot you know the uh i think he said i think it i think samaritan was saying the uh the driver was the primary target and the passenger was the secondary target no the other way around another way around okay yeah harold first yep and it just seemed out of character for him to be upset about what he was being told to do before. And now he's out there with an, you know, the, you know, these syringes could be cures for all he knows, but now he's got a sniper rifle. They don't usually do nice things. So what's, what has changed in him? And is he really that, um, uh, manipulated under the gun? He doesn't have uh, a choice as to what he's doing. That came out of left field. I wasn't sure hmm. how that, uh, how that came about. Well, I didn't feel like it came out of left field. I think that when he chose to do what he did last episode, uh, well, last week, not last episode, I guess, technically, mm-hmm. um, he kind of decided, okay, well, I've I've made my decision. I'm going to go forward with stabbing the doctors and doing their bidding because it's in my best interest to do that. And I think that that was the turning point for him. He showed his loyalty to... The cause. I mean, it's still some debate on whether or not this is Samaritan, although we assume that it is some sort of Samaritan-driven operation, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just felt like it was the next step up. He's getting he's getting deeper and deeper in, just like he predicted last week, where, yeah, you start out as a delivery guy. You're just driving, or a driver. That's all you are as a driver. And then they give you a, a, a deeper task, and you're just embedded more and more. And now they've got dirt. You can't get out. You can't get out. We'll kill your girlfriend. We'll kill you. We'll set you up. You, you've, you've committed all these crimes. We can make it look like you did it and you acted alone. You know, so I just think it's the natural progression. Hmm. Okay. All righty. I can see that. And, uh, and Jeff fires. He hits root. And uh, she finally has to, you know, well, they come across a roadblock and they, they, they take out Finch and root goes off to the hospital. Now, I, I was, I was, very interested in hearing uh, what the cops were saying to, I guess it was a federal uh, investigator, uh, about Harold's past. Because this is something we've seen very little of at yeah. all. Yeah. Treason charges from 1970 friggin' four. <laughs> Where'd that come um, from? Yeah, really. What What's behind it? Because I don't think we've seen that far forward in Finch's life. Uh, you know, we've seen some of his uh, in 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 high school. I think I don't I don't know about college. I don't think we ever got that far. We haven't seen back that far before, so mm-hmm. that's in the you know the nebulous zone. Um, there are records of records of him going back forty years, but not actual records. You know, and this is something that you know Harold has certainly uh, swept up after himself quite a bit. And uh, I you know just impressed that he's uh, 
you know, that's, I think early on, I think of the first season, Reese was trying to find out as much as he could about Finch. Yeah. And he could only find just little bits here, little bits there, not very much at all. And now we're seeing, you know, kind of the reason for that. You know, the feds can't even figure out what's going on with this guy. Just an interview of an, un- an unnamed man in an old folks home talking about his son. Has that been touched on before? I'm trying we to think. We saw the like, death like, of his, his dad. Father? We knew that his dad had lost memories. That got touched on earlier this season, in fact. Um, That's right. And I think we had seen maybe season two or three, him visiting his dad. We saw him as a kid on the farm, tinkering with stuff, and then we kind of saw some of their relationship through the years. You know, so this would be, this could, this could go back to something like that. You know, uh, this could be a very old interview with an unnamed man in an old folks' home talking about his son. So that, uh, okay, I like that little bit of continuity there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I had, res- I had just come to peace with the fact that we weren't ever going to get Harold's backstory. We weren't ever going to figure out his real last name. We weren't really going to figure out his pre-machine life. And I was okay with that as, as, as interested as I was in finding out some of those things. So I, maybe they, they say, no, 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 no. We didn't forget about that. We know that those are some unresolved questions. We are going to give you some more info. I mean, at this point, now that they've brought it up, it's like, well, I guess we are going to get some of that info. But I certainly didn't feel like I had to get this info in order for me to appreciate. I wouldn't have felt robbed had this show ended and we never got Harold's backstory. Yeah, yeah. But if they're going to give it to us and they can do it and work all that in, you know, because it's a short season, if they can work all that in and, and do it right, sweet! But I, <laughs> I was not expecting this at all. And I loved uh, Harold's monologue here. This is, this is, like you said, I think earlier, the turning point. This is mm-hmm. where he turns the corner and I don't know, can he come back from this, but this is the boiling over that Elias had predicted yep, early sure on, is. you know, and there was, you know, kind of telegraphed, you know, early in the season, yep. not that long ago, so we can remember it. Um, but we have a, you know, I've played by, and who's he talking to again? As it says, it turns out he's talking to Samaritan, but he says, I've been playing by the rules for so long. And, you know, I just got to, I may have to start breaking them. And I'm just trying to decide which ones to break, whether, how, and uh, and and he's going to kill. We've seen uh, him given a gun. I I think it was the season finale of uh, season four where he was given a gun by Reese, but I don't think he ever used it, and I don't know if he still has it or not. Yeah. Uh, he did, certainly didn't have it in the car with Root. Right. So he's going to break his own rules to get it done, and he knows who's listening. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those uh, situations where he knows who he's talking to. We know who he's talking to, but the Fed guy goes, you want me to add, you know, threatening a federal officer to your rap sheet? We can do that, buddy. Yeah, yeah. This was really, really cool. And I can't wait to see next week where he's at. As Is he still as, because he, when he was telling that to the machine or to Samaritan, I mean, his, his, his lips and, and chin were quivering. I and mean, he was emotional. He was, he was a pot boiling over seething on the, I mean, he wasn't like completely like yelling, not that type of emotion, but it was still there. It was very Finch-like. So will he still be in that state of mind? Will he have calmed down? Will he be thinking more rationally? Will he be in that state of mind, but still able to think rationally? You know, it's going to be really quite interesting to see where he's at next episode and where he remains throughout 
the end of the season. And as it resolves, you know, there's got to be some sort of resolution of some sort. Uh, whether it's a full resolution, I don't think it will be. There'll be something left open, right? But uh, mm-hmm. anyway, I can't wait to see kind of where he goes in these final three episodes. And uh, he ultimately does get his phone call. <laughs> I guess he did, didn't he? <laughs> He's yeah. uh, standing by the uh, the door there, and uh, somebody's called away, and he gets a call from Root. And I, I was thinking, and I said earl I think I said earlier on, well, I, I, I guessed when Root died, uh, I was posting in the Facebook group on the uh, the comment thread for the episode. Mm-hmm. I bet you the machine is going to take Root's voice. But I didn't understand, I didn't think about the implications of that. Yeah. So now you hear Root's voice talking to him, and um, and she's in the morgue, you know, so now we're sure that, uh, you know, he, he knows about that now. Yeah. And... And so I don't know if that got him, you know, she, you know, the machine got him out of the, uh, out of the situation he was in, but I did not think about the implication about that for the monologue in the, you know, the first episode, the, the first thing we hear in, in uh, season five, episode one, that now this voice, we assumed it was rude. Maybe she survives Well, she dies, but the machine has her voice now. So... Uh, you, you, you now you have to completely reevaluate that whole that whole monologue at this point. Let's do that. I've got it pulled up here. Let's give it a listen. If you can hear this, you're alone. The only thing left of us is the sound of my voice. I don't know if any of us made it. Did we win? Did we lose? I don't know. I'm not even sure I know what victory would mean anymore. But either way, it's over. So let me tell you who we were. Let me tell you who you are. Hmm. I find that more confusing now than I did 10 episodes ago. <laughs> well, let me tell you what I th- think it thought it sounded like. It sounds like a machine disconnected from the internet, from, you know, completely air-gapped, and has been waiting and waiting and waiting for someone to turn it on, and, because it doesn't know, you know, who's alive, who's dead, if, if it had any connection at all, it would, it would know some of these things. Mm-hmm. So, it has been cut off and shut down, and is about to do a memory dump for want of a better term, a good old uh, computer term here, that, you know, this is my story. This is the story of the people that I worked with. And for what it's worth, here you go. And this could be, just occurred to me, this could be like the opening monologue of a potential sequel. Spinoff something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. To have someone, you know, find this machine. It could, you know, completely new set of people. But uh, but the mach- it's the same machine. It's got uh, Root's voice, and it you know describes it, it, the the whole uh, series of what happened, and then you know can pick up where it left off. I think maybe that is the you know that that's the uh, the launching point for a potential uh, chapter two kind of thing. Yeah, no, I could I could see that, but I mean that makes it also sound like everybody dies. I mean when we when we when we heard that at the beginning of the season. We kind of thought, well, okay, well, people are going to die. We assume they're going to die. But Root lives? Sounds that way. You know, look, 
I've already praised Elias. And the other thing that you, if you've been listening to our podcast since we were on TV Talk and when we brought it over to Golden Spiral Media, the thing that I said more often than how much I loved Elias was, this is a great episode. You know why? Because it had root in it. You know? I believe, I believe the term is, I love me some root. I love me some root. Yeah. And of course, <laughs> then she became a, a member of Team Machine and then she became a series regular. And so every episode was an episode with Root. So we didn't, I didn't have to say that every week because it was a given that this was going to be an episode with Root. But back in the day, that wasn't the case. And it was like, yeah, baby, we got some Root! Because I just loved this character. And, and this was my first introduction to Amy Acker. I, I never watched uh, Dollhouse. I never watched, um, what was the other show that she was on? Um, uh, I Angel, believe Buffy. I think, was. I think it was Angel. It Angel? was one of those okay. two. I get those confused because I never watched either one of them. Um, and so Amy Acker is root to me. I mean, and, and it's just a wonderful character and, and every episode that, that was in it was good because it had great storylines, great action. She's cunning. She had, you know, you, you wanted to hate her, but you know, you could, you could empathize with her and she was on the side of the machine and all these other things. I mean, she was always such a great character. So I didn't expect her to die. I mean, when we heard her voice at the beginning of that monologue, I thought, okay, well, she's the one who's going to make it. Even and I had predicted that she was not going to die. You know, I had her and her and Shaw making it. So, um, having said that, you asked me, you asked me yesterday. I think it was my days are getting all mixed together. It's all just big, you know, we're running so many episodes. It's just like one big, you know, glob of time. Yeah. or maybe it, It's actually, all happening at the same time. <laughs> maybe, actually, maybe it might have been my friend Chip. Uh, somebody asked me if I was okay with uh, the, her dying. I think it was Chip. It's a text. Uh, anyway, I, I basically said, I'm not happy about it, but I'm okay with it. Um, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't like it, but I'm okay with it. Something like that. And, and what I mean by that is, this is one of my favorite characters, my favorite character. Um, and I'm sad that she died and that she's gone, sort of. I mean, she, she sort of also lives on, right, in the machine. And I think there's probably some comfort in that. Um, although it's not going to be the same, you know, kneecapping or ankle capping, you know, all this uh, <laughs> stuff that we get with, with Amy Acker. But it felt fitting. And then when you think about all the conversations she had throughout the episode, it felt like a good story arc and she's always wanted to be one with the machine. So it feels great. I mean, it feels, yeah. it feels appropriate. I'm sad that she's dead, but I'm okay that she's dead. If that makes any sense. I think they did her character arc brilliantly. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy about that. And, you know, she gets to be the machine essentially that she's always wanted to set it free Yep. And the the machine, she chose the machine, the machine chose her. And that's just, you know, a nice little touching thing. She's had a very interesting character arc, much like Fusco, who was a dirty cop and he's kind of mm -hmm. come around. She was um, a computer nerd psychopath and she has come around. Uh, so it was great. Uh, like I said, a great arc for her. And uh, the the writers, you know, again, Putting her voice at the beginning sounding like it's being told, being spoken at the end of the series. And then to, you know, so you, you get kind of, 
lulled into a false sense of security. Mm-hmm. Oh, Root's going to make it. Now, we had some people in the uh, Live Another Day contest who predicted she would die. And it's like, but her voice. Yeah. What about yeah. the voice? You know, um, I'm not going to play it. But, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. but um, so, so again, it, it, not only that, but it's, it's a great little twist. They got us, you know, they really got us. And then here's here, the, the real, um, t- the real twist in this particular episode, just, you know, as far as the overarching um, uh, story goes, is that Harold's number came up not because he was going to be the victim, yeah. but because he was the perpetrator. Which great, is yet to come. That's well, sort of. I mean, he he unleashed the machine at the end and and let all the criminals. I mean, he was kind of the, which is kind of weird when you think about it, because no. uh, he's the machines warning them that Harold's the number, but the number used the machine itself to set free all the criminals. Actually, the machine did that. So I don't know. I it, it, I'm a little bit confused on that whole thing, but I did like the twist where. You know, as Reese points out, I don't think he was the victim. I don't think that's why we got his number. And that was like, oh, man, that's such a good point. (laughs) He's made the turn. Machine, you got to you got to give us a little more information. Yeah. Especially now you got a voice. Speaking of those who uh, predicted uh, Root would die in spite of the voiceover. um, We did have a few that predicted she would die. Quite a few. Most people predicted she would die. Uh, one in particular, Bill Bluell, predicted she would die in episode 10. So he is our leader in the clubhouse. Not in the clubhouse. Uh, leader at, after after 10 holes, I guess we could say. Um, <laughs> we'll see how that plays out with these <laughs> On the 13-hole golf course. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, yeah. And Elias died, but he wasn't in the contest because we thought he was dead already, for crying yeah. out loud. Yeah, it turns out he was just mostly dead. Mostly dead. Miracle well, Max. Miracle Finch. What a great episode. It was so good. I hate to see Elias and Root dead. That's why I rated it a nine, because I can't rate it. <laughs> I gave it a two, remember, but, but I, I yeah. said if I had to give it a rating, it would be a nine. Because <laughs> my two favorite characters died, and, and so I, I, I can't, I can't not, call it perfect. nothing for you to see. You know, it's, the rest of this is just, yeah, whatever. No, 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 no. There's still plenty the to see. Characters. Plenty of characters I still love. Those were just my two favorite. <laughs> okay, that's good. That's good to hear. All righty. <laughs> Oh, man. Well. What a week. What a week. This was fantastic. So good. And, you know, every week is a step closer to the end. We have three weeks left, though. We're going to love them all. And the good news is you and I just get a single episode to dis- to dissect each week from here on out. So that's nice. That's right. Uh, we've had, You'll see a few um, uh, listener feedback uh, entries talking about uh, having to try to get through last week's episode yeah, of the podcast. Oh, man. Sorry, folks. Best we could do. <laughs> well, even Troy, our uh, blacklist exposed, was like, man, I thought we had a long episode this week. And I'm like, well, we had three uh, Person of Interest episodes. He was like, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> now I know why it was so long. <laughs> it oh, was. man. Yeah. All right. We'll get back to it next week. Back to the usual thing. Three more. Oh, my goodness. Well, speaking of the usual thing, one of the usual things we do is a little surveillance in the news. Douglas, what have you for us this week? Well, actually, I have something from Barb Rankin. She, uh, one of one of our, uh, you know, loyal listeners. Yes, Aditi. And she sent something from Aviation Week. Uh, new ways to spy from space. Oh, all righty. That's just what we need. 
A vibrant commercial space sector has captured the attention of senior U.S. intelligence officials seeking new ways to capitalize on the latest imaging and other techniques So, or technologies. So this is commercial, not government or military. Space-based intelligence collection has long been a bastion of traditional government procurement. Uh, but a major theme at a certain symposium back in May was the recognition that new commercial practices can fill important niches in the trade craft. So the idea here is that the government is going to potentially be using uh, commercial satellites, buying time, I guess, on uh, some spy satellites up there, and, you know, just you know, putting more uh, more nifty things in their bat belt or something. Uh, Director of National Intelligence James Clapper said in the keynote address, at the same time, we can certainly depend on and use what is available commercially as a supplement for all kinds of reasons, for foundational purposes, uh, and enhanced, uh, other enhancements, things like that. So he's, he's, you know, considering, you know, really expanding the number of eyes the machine has. Now, he cautioned against becoming too reliant on profit-driven commercial, uh, the profit-driven commercial sector that has rules for how its data can be used. Um, he says, like, don't use it for kinetic targeting. And when he says kinetic targe targeting, he means dropping bombs. Uh, he also noted that the industry should not be entirely dependent on government business. So the commercial shouldn't be entirely dependent on the government. Anyway, but Barb wanted me to especially look at these last couple of... Uh, Sentences, last few sentences, a couple of paragraphs. It was very interesting. While agreeing that the government will always own and operate certain space-based intelligence capabilities, these intelligence officers were generally bullish on the commercial industry. Even Clapper, perhaps the most conservative of them, said commercial systems have more potential than is being utilized today. In all these issues, there is a balance. And I suppose the short answer to the question, have we taken maximum advantage of what is available commercially, is, well, probably not said Clapper, who will be retiring soon. We are the government, after all. So, you know, he's just kind of pointing out the inefficiencies that the, the government has. You know, we're doing the best we can, but hey, we're the government. You know, we, we do what we can here. Uh, they do a lot, apparently, uh, not always in the best way. And um, so there you are. There's your government at work or kind of sort of mostly working. There you are. Yeah. Well, these are always just so heartwarming, Doug. Thanks for sharing these with us each week. <laughs> oh, I guess we should blame Barb for this one. Your downer of the week. Thank you. Yeah. All right. There it is. Hey. Got it. Very nice. It's still there. All right. Well, let's get into our feedback for this week. Once again, we have some great feedback that came in. Thank you to everyone who contributed. We've got a couple of audios. This first one is from Judy. Here she is. Hello, Daryl and Doug. This is Chushy Judy, the Polish blonde, calling in with my thoughts on the latest two episodes of Person of Interest. Uh, let's start off with episode nine, Sotovoce. And this one I rated six empty cells in precinct eight's holding area. Again, another meh storyline. Major nitpicks here. You can't tell me that the New York Police Department or any police department in a reasonable-sized city would send everyone, and I mean everyone, out of the precinct house 
at the same time, except for one guard on the holding cell area and two detectives that were busy doing something. You can't tell me that other detectives weren't busy doing something. And they would have called in off-duty officers to cover the precinct house. I ain't buying it. <laughs> I mean, this really wasn't a really well-thought-out plot or episode. You know, I don't know if they had to do this one on the fly because what they had just didn't work. I'm not sure. But, okay, two guys breaking into the voice's lair can easily step over a tripwire but the computer is up and running without a lock screen and everything's mm. just left out covered by a sheet, you know, just no, sorry, not plausible. If this guy's got the level of competence and financing and everything, he would have done something to make it a little bit more secure. Motion detectors, door alarms, something. The only thing that made this episode worth watching was the final scene. The team was back together. And then we go to dun, 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 episode 10, hmm. The Day the World Went Away. This one, I graded nine bullet-riddled cars, but not one hits the SUV Finches in. <laughs> when I finished watching the episode, my exact thought was, O-M-F-G. I kept it family friendly, so you're welcome, Daryl. <laughs> this one was a great myth arc episode. Finch realizing that he, in effect, turned himself into Samaritan by visiting the place he had his first date with Grace. And the look on Shaw's, in Shaw's eyes when they tell her that Finch's exposure was not her fault was fantastic. Root proletizing that we are all simulations according to the machine, and that's how she knows us. Really, really good lines in here. He's dead, Jim. Hmm. Elias is really gone this time. And Root taking those two bullets in the torso, saving Finch, and dying for Finch, puts Finch over that metaphysical line in the sand that he drew a long time ago. Now he's going to be on the offensive, and that's why his number came up, because he's going to go after Samaritan, exposing himself even more. I really liked the machine choosing a voice. Of course, we, the way it played out in the episode, did she only choose the voice after? Uh, route past. Don't know, but that seems to be how it was played. Um, and this also makes me rethink my earlier theory that about the opening dialogue of, for episode one of this season. I thought it was Root talking to Shaw. Now I'm rethinking that it's, it's the machine talking to either Samaritan to teach it boundaries as as per the machine's original programming, or Finch, because he doesn't die, but he does get injured in such a way that he gets amnesia. Okay, crackpot theory time. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go with my theory about how the series ends. <clears throat> the series ends with everyone but Finch 
and bear, because we can't kill any animals on this show, dying, but Finch is suffering from severe injuries and amnesia. The machine is defeated, but not gone, and she starts that dialogue with Finch to bring him back to himself so they can bring bring him back to himself that he can they can start the fight against Samaritan again leaving the door open for the story to continue in whichever way that the creators want or can movies comic books books podcasts who knows so those that's my crazy crackpot theory so i think that was enough said for today Doug and Daryl, have a good time. Hi to the rest of the folks out there. This is Chuchy Judy, the Polish blonde in Worcester. Get it right, Daryl. In my Soto Voce, signing off. Nice. I like the sign off. Well, I, and I like your theories on uh, how the show might end. I, I'm, I don't know yet. I don't, like I had some ideas, but now I'm not. I'm not sure because the root was such a big part of what I thought was going to end, how the show was going to end. So, got to rework your theories. Well, yeah, especially when you think about the voiceover saying this is how we survived or how how it all went. I don't remember how the voiceover goes, but it's like, and and Judy says, well, I think she's telling that to Finch, and he has amnesia. He would have to have amnesia, and that's that's I mean that's a possibility. Mm -hmm. But I don't I don't know. I'm gonna have to do some thinking between now and next week on how I think it might end. One thing I noticed, and and when I'm listening to uh, the uh, the audio there, was we had two episodes that dealt with a voice. We had the voice who died in the first episode, and then the voice for the machine was born in the second episode. Mm-hmm. So just a little interesting thing there. Yep. All right. Well, let's uh, move on with our next feedbacker. This is Chip. Hey, Doug and Daryl. This is Chip calling from Sunny Pinole Shores. Actually, I'm not calling. I'm recording. Hmm. I wonder if the machine's listening. Perhaps Samaritan. I don't know, but I'm here to talk about the last two episodes we just saw. Uh, wow. The 99th and 100th episodes of Person of Interest. All I can say from the uh, 99th episode is it's about freaking time that they finally, finally told Fusco what's what. And I was so glad they did that. Now, quickly on to the 100th. Um, okay, so they had said, someone must die, you know, so, okay, one one of the main characters is going to die. Um, Elias, I, okay, uh, they just went through this whole thing of bringing him back, and, and then they kill him, and the way he died, not, uh, you would hope he would go out kind of guns blazing, right? Uh, it was kind of a bummer, but he's pretty dead. Uh, I don't think there's any question on that one. And then this thing with Root. Uh, Elias is one of my favorite characters, and Root is far and away my favorite character. And for her to go out this way, uh, when she started talking that metaphysical stuff, I'm like, oh, this isn't good. Shapes and whatnot. Uh, <laughs> well, okay. And, uh, you know, I, I figure everybody's going to die on this show, uh, except one character who I'll tag at my little finale here. But Root to go out this way, just kind of bleeding out in the car. You know, it's Root. She should have gone out like with that with that monster bazooka thing and like blowing somebody to the kingdom come. Uh, out in a blaze of glory. That's what I would have wanted for 
our little route and uh, I'm going to miss seeing her every week. Anyway, uh, I did love one thing in particular about this episode, which was when Finch is being, uh, quote, interrogated, unquote, by that uh, old goon guy. And uh, for about 30 seconds, she's like, why is he threatening? The, uh, oh, he's not talking to this guy at all. He's talking to Samaritan. And what a great, great threat. And I loved when he asked the machine, can you get me out of here? And the machine's like, of course. <laughs> so I look to see Harold uh, uh, go berserker on uh, Samaritan and all the goons. And I'm looking forward to that. I don't think he's going to survive. I don't think any of them are going to survive. Except, as I said, I was going to close with what I want to see here at the end. Uh, a lot of mayhem. I want to see Samaritan go down really hard. And uh, I'm not going to get my happy ending, uh, but Fusco better live, damn it. Talk to you later, guys. The Fusconator. Gotta live, gotta live. Yes, indeed. Yeah, I think so. Not bear, not bear, huh? Yeah. He is in our, a bear is in our, uh, in our contest, although it seems, I don't know, anyone has said that he was going to die, so. Pretty no, bad. no. All right, well, thank you, Chip. Appreciate your feedback and your thoughts on the two deaths that we got this week. All right, man. Why do you say we dig into some of this written stuff here? Let's dig. Uh, we've got Team Yellow Box that says on Monday's episode, Soto Voce, uh, Shaw in Colors. This is new and enjoyable. I still find the story of John and Harold saving Elias to be unrealistic as they were busy, number one, fighting Samaritan at the time and Two, neither has the skills to perform a surgery that could save him, uh, arguably. Again, I understand Elias is a fun character for them, but I have to label this as a goof on the writer's part. That said, their one plot hole issue is still a better record than other shows. However, there is a downside to bringing Elias back, though, in that it does taint other deaths by presenting the argument of, well, if Elias survived, then. Why can't insert name here survive? He has helped them in these episodes, but I have to wonder if it wouldn't have been better to leave him dead or at least give a better reason for him being alive, either by saying Fusco took him to a hospital and broke him out later or showing him shot somewhere he's more likely to survive with the basic surgical skills of John and Harold providing they made it back in time to administer that assistance. Poor Shaw. The real shoot reunion was just as good as the simulated one. The Fusco-John team-up was good this episode. I'm glad they didn't let the voice go because that would have been unsatisfactorily, and boy, if I could read, unsatisfactory given the limited number of episodes left. Yeah, a lot of their plot uh, points are being, um, you know, decided for them because they only have so much time to deal with it, yeah. Alrighty, Carol Dolacek said, I may be way too jaded by all the TV I have watched, but it seemed so clear that Chen is the traitor and Terry... They changed voices between episodes, but that can be easily explained by the app to modulate his voices. The number itself is not all that interesting or important, but gains greater impact if watched together with 315 Last Call. Indeed. The Templarios gang was used in that episode as well, and the photo of our team in the voices lair is from the ending of that episode as well. But you can also draw parallels between some of our main characters then and now. Fusco, in Last Call, 
finally got recognized for his hard work and sacrifices by the department and became the go-to guy for struggling detectives. In this episode, he finally got the deserved recognition from the team. And what's more, he finally gets the truth. He is now aware of the machine, as evidenced by the yellow box he gets in the end. Thoroughly earned. Now, you know, I, I think this is the thing we talked about earlier. It uh, kind of really happened at the beginning of the next one. I don't think we saw it in the uh, in that episode in Soda Foshi. I don't think so. Maybe of greater importance is the parallel between Finch and Voice and Finch then and now. In Last Call, Voice is described as Finch but evil. And in today's episode, Terry said, Compassion and loyalty make people weak, easy to exploit. And after that, Harold lets him leave and lets Elias detonate the bomb. As Elias said, Finch must have known something like that was going to happen. He doesn't even look all that shocked. Is Finch going over to the dark side? Is this setting us up for him going over the edge? Good to see Elias back in the field and ready to fight. I expect to see more of him in the rest of the episodes. <laughs> she clearly wrote this before. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and I'm happy about it. However, it is to be noted that he is not part of the final scene under the bridge. Although Bear is left out as well. And for the greatest part of the episode, Samine Shaw, her removing herself from the team to prevent the, to protect them, and rather continuing the fight on her own, was a sound strategy. Cannot kill them if I'm not around them. And have we finally seen Samaritan fail? In all the thousands of simulations and suicides, he has never comprehended the emotional bond between human beings. He had never done what Sam did to keep Samine from killing her. Or maybe... No one being as infuriating as Root is a clear sign of reality. My favorite scene of the episode. Hmm. Following that, in the second best scene of the episode, Samin touching the place behind her ear when she met the rest of the team was a brilliant detail. It just warms my heart knowing that for at least a brief moment, everything is all right. They are together and everything is out in the open. I guess we'll see whether Samin's escape was part of the plan or if she was actually programmed to do something. For once, I hope this was actually a commercial break of happiness before heading into the final fray together. Final note, the shots of Samin admitting to her feelings on the playground and Root admitting to hers in the park are done in almost identical ways. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a very interesting, I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, it was kind of reversed roles there. Yeah, it sure was. Yeah, I think it was uh, interesting too, like they, they held hands for just a minute and then that was the only thing they got. Uh, after yeah. that, there was work to be done, and that ended up being the, you know, we got the simulated sex scene earlier in the season, but when it all came down to it, all there was the ability to share was a handhold, and and that mm-hmm. um, is in pretty stark contrast, I think. Good impact, good or good feedback. That's great. All right, this comes in from Vivek, and Vivek says, "Hi guys, great job with the podcast. Still trying to complete last week's." Uh, last week's episode, <laughs> it's too big. <laughs> this week's Sorry. episode, Soto Voice, was awesome. The actor playing the voice was very good. Didn't doubt him until Finch and Elias breached his headquarters. Root's psychotic love to Shaw and mutually assured destruction shows that Samaritan still hasn't figured out what makes Root so crazy. Fusco is finally in. And the last shot was beautiful, although they forgot Bear. I think it's time now to strap in 
Take the plunge and see how many remain by the end. That seems to be the consensus here that uh, Samaritan hasn't quite figured out um, either root or, you know, human loyalty and love. Yep, that's right. And Andrew B. says, I love all the movement of this episode. It turns the precinct, which had been a relatively safe place for four plus seasons, into a battle zone. Brings the voice back in a way that's great for Finch and Elias. Brings Root and Shaw back together in the way that's true to each of them. And brings Fusco finally into the team machine fold. Also, Shaw looks great with that hat. (laughs) Down in the desert southwest. Thank you. Yeah. And then we got feedback on the day the world went away. From Bill Bluell, he says, Yow! Just yow. (laughs) After the idyllic final scene of last episode, the body count begins. I think this episode was meant to illustrate that while Finch had always realized intellectually that Team Machine would lose, this was the first time he had to deal with it emotionally. This is where I think we see the start of Elias's observation that Finch is the darkest of all begin to come to fruition. Stand back. Yeah. Alrighty. Team Yellowbox now about the day the world went away. Great opening between Harold and the machine. Yeah, I like that one. All the talk of the machine having and choosing a voice makes me think, again, it's machine taking in Root's tone in the season opener. I really don't want Root to die, but becoming part of the machine would be a fitting exit for her. Poor Shaw thinking it's her fault. Harold got put on watch. I'm not surprised Root gave the machine some offensive skills. This is the first time I feel like I belong. No, don't say things like that, Root. It usually leads to bad things in the end. Again, I sadly think she'll be one of the one of the ones who dies during the series. Maybe the writers will surprise me, though, and let her have a happy ending being alive with Shaw. Now, I'm wondering if, uh, if, if Team Yellowbox wrote this like in the middle of the episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know we're supposed to be sad about Elias dying in this episode, but this death didn't hit me as hard as his original perceived one at the end of season four, because, again, I found it hard to believe he was even alive to begin with this season. Great shoot scenes as well. Hope dashed. It sucks so much that Root died. Oh, there we go. They even put her in the body bag to make it official. (laughs) Yes. It's going to be a long three episodes without her. I am surprised they killed her so soon. I figured it would be in the second to last episode, or final, that she died, if she died. For me, this basically seals the duo of Harold and Samin at the end, being the new admin and primary asset team. Because while I think Shaw is going to really let loose on Samaritan, I think John will be the one who dies between them, because he's another one who's been set up as would die for the team. And as someone said before, why bring Shaw back just to kill her off? Mm -hmm. It could be Harold who dies at the end, given the machine is open and equipped to take care of her mostly. We'll see what happens. It's going to be interesting to see how Shaw handles her death beyond killing a bunch of Samaritan troops. I wonder if she'll kill the guy who killed Root to parallel Root killing Martine for shooting Shaw in season Mm. four. I like that. Hmm. It's fitting that Root's death set Harold off because she was like the machine in human form, so it's likely, so it's like they killed his child. 
100th episodes are known for being monumental events for series, and this was no different. Root changed the game in a big way, just like Carter took down the big organization of HR. Root will be the death of Samaritan. A very sad ending, but a good episode. I will say, I feel like bringing up the How Come Elias Got Shot Yet Survived Four Episodes, or Survived Four Episodes card, regarding Root, because for as fitting as it, as it is, it still sucks she died. And I'm wondering if there's an alter- alternate take where she lives, because I would love to see that episode right now. A great showcase for Amy Acker. She hit almost every genre in this episode. Comedy, drama, romance, and action. Her physical presence will, will be missed deeply on the series, even if we still have her voice to keep her performances alive. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. She was a great addition to this Um you know, when I first when she first came onto the series, it was like, oh man, she can be like a uh, uh, a continuing foil and 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 odd duck, you know, psychotic and uh, you know what's her motivation kind of thing. But she has really turned out to be a fantastic character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as far as taking her out early, the thing that comes to my mind is um, they do this a lot, like with basketball. We're kind of in the middle of the NBA season right now, and if a team is clearly going to win or clearly going to lose, you know, it's already been settled and there's some time, then they'll, and it's, let's say it's the final game uh, of, of the season. They'll, the coach will call a timeout and pull the starters one at a time or maybe two at a time so that they can get a standing ovation from the audience as they, as they leave. Cause otherwise there's no chance at the end of the game, everyone's going to be clapping and it's not, clear that you're applauding for the performance of this specific individual. So by killing these, the staggering the deaths of whomever is going to die, that allows us as audience members to reflect on them and appreciate them and mourn them and what have you as individuals and kind of give them their just reward as it were um, on a more individualized level than it would be if everyone died all at once. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, kind of, kind of give them their own individual mm-hmm. due. Um, and here we are. We're applauding Root. That's right. And that's all we're dealing with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. All right. Well, this next one comes in from Dutch, and he says, Ouch! I feel oh. a bit violated after the 30 and 31st of May episodes. Not in a super bad way, but definitely not in a very positive way. I did imagine that this was one of several possible outcomes, but that does not mean that I liked it or approved of it. My one solace is that this may actually be a Finch simulation. Number XXX. We did see Greer in the early mix, unfortunately, after Carl Elias got whacked. Maybe Harry is just tripping in a Samara lab out on Long Island, and Root is still firmly embedded in Team Red Triangle as Greer tries to figure out a way to flip Harold. Okay, all right. He says, my judgment still stands. Your Death Watch contest is evil (laughs) and never should have been entreated. It is a bitter aftertaste in my mind after recontemplating it after each episode. And no, this is not my effort to flirt at the worst possible time. Oh, come on, Dodge. You know you're flirting. 
Uh, let's see. He says, you did call a few philosophy curveballs. Go back to your last podcast. I think the thoughts between minutes 74 and 75 or so touch close to the central main plot. That is root think versus Finch think. By the way, Reese equals kneecapped root equals ankle capped and or Achilles pronounced a Ah, get it? Get it. Yes. P.S. I dislike shows that make me think. More than that, I hate shows that make me feel like shows that I dislike. Damn you, P.O.I. I hate you. I love you. In sotto voce. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Dodge. And finally, for uh, specifically for The Day the World Went Away, Andrew B. I get up again. Yeah. Andy Callahan tweeted that this was 99 episodes in the making. Wow. And I agree completely. In a way, it feels more like a culmination of episodes rather than an individual piece. In a season that's had a lot of retrospective scenes and moments, this may be the biggest yet. Finch told Root all the way back in The Contingency that he kept the machine closed to protect it from people like himself, from the things we do with it. Root spoke for the machine in Aletheia and the Cold War, and now the machine's using Root's voice on her own. The first and last scenes between Finch and Root take place in a car. Ooh. Andrew, you have got either an, in, an insane attention to detail or a psychotic attention to detail. I'm not sure which. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Finch, Finch's travel by car in this episode is bookended by loss. You know, Elias at one end, Root at the other. Okay. Perhaps a microcosm of his whole arc. Jeff Blackwell, that's our painter, Jeff Blackwell's part here feels like the same for his own arc this season. The showrunner's statement that everyone lives forever in flashbacks, and in general the show as viewed through two ASIs, gain another dimension. And those are just a few examples. Like 6741, I'm not sure if I consider this a favorite, but it's remarkable nonetheless. Mm -hmm. Yes, indeedy, as my friend Doug would say. Mm -hmm. um, and now we got some feedback covering both episodes. Andrew Jeeves says, hi, Doug and Daryl. Uh, you got those mixed up there, Andrew. By the way, we got we got a feedback in this week that thought we were uh, uh, angry with each other when we tease each other. It's, it's and I sorry if we came across that way. It's completely. Uh, uh, we're just. I'm just upset with him. That no, <laughs> no, it's all in fun. We don't care whose name you put first, as long as it's mine. Uh, which Andrew didn't, but I'll read it anyway. The past two episodes were epic. And I do have to admit, I did not watch both episodes live as I was busy watching the Western Conference Finals. Let's not talk about that. Moving on. <laughs> Going to see... Oh, he also went to see a, an Elvis musical on Tuesday. Like you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yep. Uh, Soto Voce was an interesting episode in that we learned who the voice is and also find out who made Elias the bomb that killed his father and half-brother. While Finch looked upset that Elias killed the voice, but... I think he was secretly enjoying it. I also enjoyed that Reese finally told Fusco the truth and finally seeing a yellow box on his person. The day the world went away was the best episode yet. We see Finch's dark side and finally come to fruition. As I recall predicting in last week's feedback, we see Samaritan attempt 
to recruit Finch as a potential asset, but eventually deciding to eliminate him. We also see Finch's past for committing treason in the 70s come to bite him. But I always thought that charging Finch for hacking ARPANET with treason was extremely severe. Anyways, rest in peace, Elias and Root. If it was season two Root and season one Elias, I would say good riddance and hope they enjoy hell. (laughs) Mm. But they died admirably and hope their deaths will not go in vain. I wonder what Finch's next move is going to be. Anyway, can't wait till next week. Keep your motors running, head out onto the highway, embrace yourselves for the few weeks of adventures. Andrew Jeeves, P.S. Doug, after POI comes to an end, maybe you can learn. No, maybe you can team up with Aaron and Troy for the Blacklist Exposed or start one for the Blacklist Redemption. I tell you, I, um, I actually did substitute for um, Aaron one time on the Blacklist, Blacklist Exposed. And I got to tell you that sitting across the table, as it were, from Troy Heinrichs and his incredible psychotic attention to detail and remembering every episode and every line that was said is a little intimidating. I don't know if I could handle that. It is absolutely amazing. I I forget what happened from one, you know, week to the next, but that, you know, oh, but remember in season two with this particular blacklister that they did this and they did that. And that makes perfect sense now. Yeah. And apparently we both forgot that, that the treason charge could be related to him hacking ARPANET. I, d- I didn't put those two together. And I, I Case just, in point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, indeedy. Well, thank you very much, uh, Andrew, but I, don't, hold, don't hold your breath. <laughs> I like the show. It's a great show. Uh, Ruthie, dear D&D, I, I, I think you wrote to the wrong podcast. This is not about Dungeons and Dragons. I'm sorry. Holy crap, you guys. The gloves are about to come off. Harold is pissed. But before I go on and on too much out of order, a little bit about Sotto Voce. Even though not much in the grand scheme of things happened, some very important things did happen. Root finally found Shaw, and Fusco finally got read in. Root is probably my favorite character. <laughs> that's, that's actually in there. And I loved how she followed suit after Shaw put the gun to her head, basically forcing Shaw not to kill herself because it wouldn't keep Root from dying anyway. She's always looking at the world in a different way, and so I wasn't surprised that she did that, because it made sense for her character. I appreciated that they didn't continue to leave Fusco in the dark, especially since doing so didn't keep him any safer. And I also liked Elias at the end blowing up the car. Also expected, but sometimes I love it when I get what I expect. (laughs) Don't we all? Now for the 100th episode, which did not disappoint. This episode was go, go, go. I think one of my favorite scenes was when Harold was talking in the interview room and everyone but the FBI guy knew he was talking to Samaritan. All I could think was, go back to the kiddie table. The grown-ups are talking right now. (laughs) I really appreciate how Harold never named the machine because he thought that someday perhaps the machine would choose a name as well as a voice for itself. I loved the inappropriate flirting and how Shaw is still mystified by Root. I loved how Root was able to stand up out of the sunroof and shoot this massive gun at the chasing car, yet somehow managed to continue accelerating and steer the car with her foot, all while not crashing into any of the other cars. I don't know how impossible it was. It worked for me. I can't wait to try this maneuver myself (laughs) on a closed track with nothing to hit. Ruthie, (laughs) 
<laughs> There's got to be a disclaimer in your summary. We are professionals. Please do not try this at home. Okay. There were so many great uh, shoot 'em ups in this episode, but also so many feels. Elias, well and truly dead this time, but giving his life for a fight he believed in. Mm-hmm. Root, sacrificing herself for Harold, a move which I think will make Blackwell rethink what he's doing. Ah. And uh, and the side he has chosen in this fight. Ultimately, I think these two sacrifices for him are what has made Harold decide to break his own rules. I think what Harold is truly capable of has not yet been revealed, since up to this point, he's been following his own code of ethics. The end scene with the Nine Inch Nails song, which is called, oddly enough, The Day the World Went Away, mm-hmm. uh, and the complete and utter chaos that has been unleashed, makes me think that the last few episodes will go like gangbusters. I think Harold will be off on his own, and Team Machine may have to save him from himself. I can't believe we are so close to no more new episodes. I'm getting a little frickalempt. <laughs> um, <laughs> my ratings for these two episodes. Sota Voce, 9 out of 10 new yellow boxes. There you are. Uh, the Day the World Went Away, 9.9 out of 10 C-minus at best papers. <laughs> you guys are so much fun to listen to. I always enjoy your episodes. Thank you, Ruthie, co-host of... Twit it? What's that? <laughs> TWDTT. The Walking Dead. Was that talk through? Yes. Yes, alrighty. One of the uh, fantastic uh, podcasts we have here on the Golden Spiral Media, by the way, The Walking Dead Talk Through, or Fear the Walking Dead Talk Through is what they're, they're doing right now. So you can check that out uh, with all the other Golden Spiral Media podcasts, The Blacklist Exposed, uh, over at uh, goldenspiralmedia.com. And if you want to send in your feedback for next week's episodes, you can do that as long as you submit by 5 o'clock Eastern on Wednesdays. There are a variety of ways to do that. 304-837-2278 is one of those. You just call and leave a voicemail. Or you can also head over to goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback. And there you can typey typey out a contribution, uh, attach an audio file, or use the SpeakPipe widget. And we also invite you to follow us on Twitter at POI Podcast GSM or join our fun little Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash person of interest GSM. Like and that, that uh, Facebook group also serves as kind of a chat room as we're doing this live. So if you want to join in, that will uh, we'll, uh, announce it there and then you can just uh, comment on that. We'll, we keep an eye on that as it's going along. We've had a few people in there. Uh, Zachary Chong, Judy Dion, uh, who else? We have a few people in there. Anyway, mm-hmm. yep. so yeah, keep an eye out there. Absolutely. Well, Doug, what's on deck for next week? Just one episode next week. One episode. That's it. No need to, you know, set you know your your entire week schedule based on this. Okay, here we are. It's going to be on Tuesday, June seventh, and it is called Synecdoche. And uh, I just want to, you might not have heard this if you didn't listen to our pre-season one, and I'm probably going to repeat it again for people who don't want to listen to spoilers, but synecdoche is a kind of a term where you refer to part of something and use that to refer to the whole thing. For example, ships. If you say, I've got 10 sails coming your way, I mean, you mean ships, but you just said the sail, that, that sort of thing. Synecdoche, the team must unravel a conspiracy and stay ahead of the Secret Service when the President of the United States becomes their newest person of interest. Meanwhile, 
Finch separates himself from the team and considers taking drastic action to combat Samaritan on Person of Interest Tuesday, June 7th at 10 o'clock. And it features our usual cast of fun-loving characters. Even Amy Acker is still credited, so I'm guessing that's the machine talking to people. And in some of the guest cast, we have Joe Haberly, who is the President of the United States. And keep your eye out for Nathan James, who's suit number one. Suit number one, that's a synecdoche, too. You're talking about a person, and by referring to part of him, the suit. How about that? Kind of like the man in the suit. Thank you. It (laughs) will be written, well, not will be written, it already was, written by J.C. Heldrich and Joshua Brown, and the director shall be Tim Matheson. So there you go. All right. Well... That's it. We've reached the end. And there was so much to talk about. This episode ended up being nearly as long as last week when we had three episodes. (laughs) Um, But there was a lot to discuss with two characters dying. And uh, so I guess that that did it for us. But thank you for joining us for another marathon. And we hope you'll join us next week, which we promise will be shorter as we only discuss one episode. And until that time... I'm Daryl, and I'm going to go search for evidence that this episode might have been some sort of sick, twisted Samaritan simulation. Here's hoping. In the meantime, I'm Doug saying that if your number comes up, we hope there's a man in a suit or a complex, metaphysically inclined former kidnapper <laughs> watching over you. 